Fun fact, in Fire Walk With Me, you see Karen from One Tree Hill's boobs. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Isn't that wild? In other words, you see Nala from The Lion King's boobs. (laughs) She voices Nala? What the fuck? You learn something new every day. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of We Explain Movies. I'm Kimmy. Kayleen. And I'm Courtney. And this is the podcast where three best friends explain, rate slash review, and decide whether or not to see the latest and greatest or most beloved classics of film. This means each week, two or one of us will explain a movie to the other two or one of us in its entirety. Since this is a center for spoilers, if you haven't seen this week's movie, tune out and tune back in once you have. For other spoiler timestamps, check out our Instagram and Twitter at We Explain Movies. Here's how it's gonna go. We're gonna start off with what we watched this week, move into some movie-related questions, followed by the explanation, and then we're going to close out with our watchlist ads and recommendations. You're listening to We Explain Movies. We're ready to go! I've missed this so much! Ah, my friend! Oh! It's the, been too long. The two best friends. The three girls. And uh, two more girls in this week's episode of Mulholland Drive. Because it starts two girls. <laughs> Yay, two girls. If you haven't figured out by now, you're listening to We Explain Movies. Yes, Kiki Silencio. <laughs> this is our podcast, which you know. Or we hope you do. You clicked on it. Yeah. <laughs> are so, you wearing red and black right now? Because we are. We, we are. are having a very themed night because we're extra like that and it's fun. Yeah. And we're drinking blue drinks that Courtney made us. Also, we had no choice because Courtney held a knife to our throats and she said, you better dress up or else. And oh. I made us blue drinks because blue is a theme in the movie, but oh. Kimmy's not drinking these days, so I dyed her water blue. <laughs> I just have food... Blood, the blue food color. <laughs> food blood. Food blood. It, blue food coloring in my water. Yeah. Mm. So. It makes me upset that there's a movie called Blue Velvet, yet this movie has so much blue. Well, that's. There's going to be I a feel lot of. confused. There's going to be a lot of Lynchianisms in this. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You will come to find. If you've seen Twin Peaks, you've seen it all. I feel like I've seen this movie. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, before we start that. Let's start this week's episode with what did you watch this week? Who wants to start? You can start because you're like locked and loaded with a notebook. Yeah. I, I gotta... know. I brought a little notebook today because I thought it would be fun and I don't have any other use for this fancy notebook. So I guess let's start with what is technically, now it seems like old news, especially by the time this comes out, but Uh-oh. I saw Birds of Prey. Cool. Still good news. Still good news. I had a really fun time and... uh loved Ewan McGregor. I thought he was hilarious. I'm Uh not saying that to say like, he trumps Harley, but she was, all the women were obviously fantastic, so I'm (laughs) trying to say other things. Um, (laughs) But he was so good, and I thought Chris Messina did amazing as well. I thought he was disgusting, and in Sharp (laughs) Objects, I think he's super like, handsome and charming, and uh, after the movie, I was like, Dakota, you know who that was, right? And I told him, and he goes, why is he so ugly? <laughs> He's like, I didn't think he was ugly before. I'm like, I know. Victor's the, ass just is. It's the power of movies. But I thought it was really, really fun. I thought that the strongest thing going for it was that fight choreography. Mm-hmm. That like, so creative and kick-ass, and I just thought it was dope. I was intrigued and engaged in every single scene. I know. She's got on roller skates. 
I know, the roller skates were so fun. I loved it. I was like, well, if this doesn't get me putting my rollerblades back on, what does? Sharp, <laughs> Sharp objects? <laughs> oh, look, what's next on my list? Sharp <laughs> objects. Wow, what a great segue. <laughs> so two Christmasina projects. I've said this to you guys before. It's wild to watch this and think of Eliza Scanlon in Little Women. Beth, because, yeah. Because, wow, they're so wildly different, and I'm so... When I watch Sharp Objects, I'm like, she must be that confident and, like, cool and quirky and crazy in real life. And then in Little Women, I'm like, well, she must not speak at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she's a star, and I am excited to see her do other stuff. We just finished it, Riley and I did, and that was really fun. Did you tape her reaction? (laughs) No, she doesn't really react strongly. (laughs) My sister did. She reacted strongly? She FaceTimed me, like, right as she finished it for the first time uh-huh. and she was like it should i spoil it right yeah now? let's do yeah. it spoiling She's sharp like, objects it was emma the whole time <laughs> are you kidding me i was like yeah she's like i just finished it what the heck that's how they're gonna end it i'm like keep watching yeah keep watching <laughs> it's like 15 more seconds hold out <laughs> and she like watches that part and she's like got this like really twisted face on and she's like oh it still gives you the very last second of the show. It's like, twist, show's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Deal with it. And then they like they give you a little, but not really. Yeah. yeah. They just show you what you already know. It's like a true just like teaser at the end of yeah. like fun, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was really fun. Also, because we were watching it at her house on lunchtime and like her husband is there, I'm not trying to be emotional or anything like that. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like it made me realize which parts get me the most because I was like... <clears throat> You know? (laughs) Like, um, I think the part that got me the most, just because there's so much going on in all the characters, and it's, like, the height of the show, like, shit's going down, it's the meat and potatoes of the show, is when Amy is lying on the ground in the towel, and Curry is up there with her, and um, Richard sees her cuts for the first time, and not only is he trying to wake her up, and he's like, someone call an ambulance, which is just, like... The hottest thing a guy can do is, like, try call to... Call an ambulance? <laughs> no. I love it when my men call me ambulance. No, like, trying to, like, take care of a woman. Yeah. <laughs> like, being a protector. I understand. Kayleen's just constantly throwing herself on the ground in a towel <laughs> in front of men. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like, when, like, how I think it's hot when guys in movies get in fights. I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so he's, like, trying to revive her, but then there's also the moment after that where he realizes that she's got all the cuts, and he, like, has a moment, and, you know, the last time they saw each other, he was like, you're a drunk and a slut, and now he's like, oh, it goes a little deeper than I thought. What else? What should should we move on to now? Okay, I can go next. Um, I watched things that feel very similar, so Kimmy can jump in on the second one, Mm because she's seen it as well. I went to L.A. after I watched Mulholland Drive, and I went and saw Fleabag performed yeah. uh, and streamed live from her show in London, and it was amazing to get to see, like, the original Fringe performance of it and how it is so similar to the one that we know and love, Yeah, uh, season one Fleabag, because there's nothing really from season two in it. Mm. Uh, like, direct lines are taken from it, but also, like, it is different in a way too, like, especially watching it as a one-woman show, and she doesn't totally do voices for different people. She's just, like, so physical about it, and you see her, like, reactions to herself of, like, playing her sister and, like, scolding her and how her reaction is to that, and it got a lot darker, especially with the boo stuff. Oh. 
And I thought it was really moving, and I thought it was beautifully done and still hysterical. Like, it ends on a big laugh, even, and it was so fun. And my big takeaway from this is that old white men just need to be stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Because I went and saw it at the same place that we saw Reasons to be Happy, which is UCLA, and it's like a theater that you can tell there's a lot of subscribers to it, and this was a sold-out show. And it's because people have the subscription and then buy out all the tickets. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I bought this months in advance to go see it. And I get there and like half the theater is empty. And I, and it, it had sold out. Yeah. And then everyone there just is kind of silent. They're not laughing. They just went to go see it because it's the new big thing. And then the show ends and the guy in front of me just goes, well, that was awful. And I was like, <gasps> how okay. dare he? I like leaned forward and I was like, let's do this. Yes. <laughs> like, what do you have to say? And he just was like, I have never seen a more pathetic or just more damaged and awful woman in my entire life. She has nothing going for her. And I was like, do you not get its theater? Do you not get that it's... It's art, and it's not true, and also I think her Emmys beg to differ, (laughs) and then his wife is just like, oh, that's really how you felt, and her friends are just like, well, I mean, isn't it like, didn't it win all those Golden Globes and those Emmys? And he goes, well, the show is American. They adapted it. What? And it's completely different. (laughs) That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I just started laughing, and, like, he heard me, and I was just like, nope, 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 not not even gonna... And he's like, it's American, and, like, thank God, because they really made it better. And I was like, you're the dumbest person. Stop trying to sound smart. It was phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me so grumpy. I know. Yeah. I just, like, was on cloud nine when it ended, and then that happened, and I just was like, Stomping back to the parking garage. Right. And then I had to listen to the Birds of Prey soundtrack to get my anger nice. out. <laughs> but the other thing that I watched and that I was, like, proud to have broken into sittings because I watched three episodes in a row and just knew that I could binge it all. Yeah. But then I paced it out is Zoe Kravitz's new show on Hulu, High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Kimmy's seen it all, too. What'd I you did. Think, so you both watched all of it. Yeah. Yep. Cool. I watched most of it in one sitting because I was building a bunch of Ikea furniture. Is yeah. there going to be more? Probably. Probably. Oh, cool. My thoughts are just that uh, it was really reminiscent of Fleabag in that it was hysterical Dude, and you're... Did yeah. you guys oh, not like, talk about this beforehand? We haven't talked about it. Oh, she literally Dude, just I said that I literally said oh. that. My sister, she watched it first. Nice. And she was like, you've got to watch it. Zoe Kravitz is awesome. She's just the best. And so I watched the first episode at her house and I was like, oh, it's like basically American Fleabag. Yeah, like not as like cool. dark and maybe yeah, that's what he was thinking about all those Emmys. <laughs> and it's obviously less like comedy based and more like narrative based kind of, and, and like drama. It's like regular adult drama, mm-hmm. you know. But I just really enjoyed it. I love the theme. Obviously, the music is great. I just want to be Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> I know she was so fun She's to look so at. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I really think that she can carry her own show. Absolutely she can. I mean, give her every show because she's so funny. I do like that she's a mega flawed character, too. Like, mm. she can be such an asshole, and mm-hmm. that's that's how people are. Yeah. So we don't need to watch somebody perfect at all times. Like, you see her make mistakes, and you see her do wrong to people, and it's... She's just, like, a real person, yeah. and it's really good. And it's, it's a lot of talking to the camera, too. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. fun to... I live for that. That's a great narration. <laughs> Yeah, if you can do it right, it's really effective. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then I just wanted to talk about um, the other day, and Courtney and I were hanging out, and we've just realized that we have a really bad problem about, which it's never like a problem, it's always because we're like chatting and get distracted, but we watched technically four movies in one night, but by that I mean finished none of them. (laughs) We watched like half of four movies. (laughs) We watched two movies. We watched half of Jacob's Ladder because we were thinking of doing it for an episode, and then we were a little bored. But also, she said it was a lot like Mulholland, so we stopped. We decided to watch Rough Night, because we were feeling it. And then we paused, like, probably almost to the end. We were more than we halfway. We were very far, yeah. We paused it, started talking, and then somehow we got on the subject of Ansel Elgort. We watched <laughs> clips from Baby Driver, and then we started the Faultless Stars. <laughs> <laughs> and again, didn't finish it. So, yeah. So, that's how, that's how we watch films. Anything else anyone wants to talk about? Um, I watched The Notebook while I was at home. Oh, yeah! With my mom. Oh, you watched it with her? I watched it with my mom and my sister. Like, I hadn't seen that in a long time. And to be honest, I don't think I will watch it again for quite a long time. Oh, I was like, ever again? (laughs) No, just for quite a long time because I don't think that it aged very well. Mm. As far as, like, how we view love and relationships and women nowadays, like... I mean, I get that, yeah. Allie, that's her name, right? Yeah. Allie's character, like, at some point, like, early on, like, when she's younger, seemed, like, just so ignorant and naive, and I know that that's part of the character, but there was, like, nothing else to her. Mm. She's like, I want to be in love, I want to be married, I I love him, Daddy! And I'm like... That's how Nicholas Sparks writes women, and yeah. then they die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or they get sick. But, like, I can't deny, like, some of the, like, zingers in that. Like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. <laughs> I fucking love that. And, like, when she remembers that it's him, and they're like, we only have a little bit of time. You know what I was... I was jesting about this, like, two days ago. I don't know why. Because I, I played it over and over again in my head. I wasn't watching it, but I was just thinking about it. And I'm like, this is the cheesiest fucking line, but somehow I watch it and I'm like, ugh, and it's when he says, it wasn't over, it's still not over. <laughs> Is that when he grabs her and pulls her in for the kiss? Yeah. You know how many times I've watched their MTV Best Kiss win? I know, <laughs> I, I've watched that so many times. I even know what part of the Maroon 5 song is playing, oh my and then goodness. they're across the stage from each other and they run at each other. It's killer. It's so That's good. Awesome. It's phenomenal. And um, the movie opens and closes with one of my favorite songs. It's I'll Be Seeing You, sung by Etta James. It's just, like, so beautiful. Can you sing it for me right now? No. <laughs> it's it's great. I'm sure you've heard it before. I'm sure, yeah. So in the romance department, I, the other day, got home from... Oh, when we hung out with my sister and Frank. We went to dinner and stuff, and I got home, and I was there by myself, and I decided... I'm going to drink wine and watch 13 Going on 30, just for funsies. I don't know why. I just felt like it. And I haven't seen it in a very long time. And, guys, I don't think this is even a hot take. I think this is almost all of those actors' best roles. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Jennifer Garner. Judy Greer. Has never been cuter. Judy Greer is the standout role. I say this because, as a kid, I watched this when it came out. So we were, like, ten. Shh. We're tiny. Um, <laughs> so I watched this when I was, like, ten. I also wrote the note that I remember there's a part where they talk about her being hungover because she, you know, she's 30 and doesn't know where she is, and so Judy Greer thinks she's hungover. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I for sure didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I remember being like, what's the joke here? I definitely felt that way about School of Rock. 
Oh, yeah. Because I got a hangover. Who knows what that means? I was like, not me. (laughs) I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I was upset I didn't get the joke. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Judy Greer, I don't have any qualms with her, but I feel like everything I see her in, I just go, oh, it's Judy. And in this, I was like, you're on fire, baby. I I actually don't like her in like hardly anything else. I really like her. And I saw a movie where she was the lead and I was like, you deserve it. And I was so happy. Because I feel like I've never seen her as the lead. Yeah, it was a, it's like not a great movie, but it was her, Natasha Lyonne plays sisters. And then Natasha Lyonne is dating Aubrey Plaza. And I was like, you all deserve this. Like, yeah. Let them be leading women. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I was just having a time because I think watching that as a kid, I just saw her as a character. But as an adult, I was really living for her conniving personality. Into the questions. Questions. Alrighty, my first question for Mulholland Drive. What is your favorite movie set in Hollywood or LA if you're not going the showbiz route? Can I start? No. Yeah. I'm going to go first. Okay. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I respect that. She can go first. <laughs> because usually she lets us and she's very angry. Yeah, I don't, I can go last. I don't care. I mean, there's there's only so many. I have like shit ton of backups just in case. Okay. But my uh, my answer is La La Land. You're a slutty. Is that your answer? <laughs> it's my number one answer. I had a bunch, I had, I That's had, why she screamed like that. She knew I was going to say I mean, it. I honestly thought about making this question. What do you love about La La Land? Because I knew where your heads were at. Yeah. I have, like, five other answers Well, just don't say case. them because the, they're going to no, be mine. I won't say it. <laughs> but my answer is La La Land. I freaking love that movie. Yeah. And it is, like, the epitome of the Los Angeles, <laughs> like, struggling star experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I was living that movie. I loved the songs. I just loved the ending. I freaking love the ending. I listened yeah. to that soundtrack, like, for weeks and weeks after we saw it. We couldn't stop talking about it. I know. After we saw it. It was, yeah. like, easily, like, one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. Um, I wa- I've watched it about once a year since it came out, yeah. probably. I've been, like, on the cusp of, like, going to watch it and because, oh, like, yeah. But every time I'm like, no, I can't handle it. We that. almost watched it that one time, remember? Yeah. yeah. When That's we watched right. That was like a fun game of chicken. <laughs> so, and we all had different opinions. I know, we really did. Um, yeah. I love it. La La Land, like, I, I promise I'm not saying this to be like, it's about me because we're all in fucking theater and art. It's about, like, all of us. I, I feel like... <laughs> I felt this way about Lady, Lady Bird. Bird. I knew you were going to say that. I was <laughs> like, we're all from Northern California. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> this person's never going to listen to my podcast because she's full of herself. But... <laughs> there's a person... Finish her! Shots fired. <laughs> there's a person that I'm friends with on Facebook who, after they saw Laylee... La- Laylee Bird? Laylee Bird. Lala Bird. <laughs> posted this big old status about, like, oh my god, this is my life, like... I grew up in Sacramento, which you didn't. You grew up in Cameron Park. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, I grew up in Sacramento, and I do theater, and I moved away to school in New York, and it's my life. And I was like, whatever. (laughs) It's all of our lives. Especially just being from... California and also like Northern California, <laughs> like we all dealt with that many statuses pouring in from people when that came oh, out. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, the only person who gets to do this is Jessica Chastain because yeah. she was like, uh, you can all shut up. I'm from Sacramento. I moved away to go to Juilliard and I lost my virginity to crash into me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you won. That's awesome. <laughs> Literally none of us are Jessica Chastain, so we all need to shut the fuck up. Oh, that's good. 
Um, never. Or if you're Greta Gerwig, who wrote the movie herself. Exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point of me saying that is that when I watched La La Land, the year it came out, we had, like, just graduated. Mm-hmm. So things were even, like, a little bit different then. And at the time, it just hit me really hard. And we saw it. It was, like, me... Dakota, which to the listeners should know by now, it's my boyfriend. So at the time, we had even been dating less than we have now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the movie, as it was about to end, I was like, please let this be the ending. Like, let it end, like, with them not getting together and it's not, it just it can't work out for them to get their dreams. Mm-hmm. And then it ends. And I was like, oh my god, it's perfect. And I was just like, tears just kept running down my face. And I'm like, we gotta leave the theater. And i <laughs> wiping my eyes. And Dakota, my musician boyfriend, (laughs) after we're walking out of the theater, like, touches my arm, and he's like, was that a little too close to home? And I fucking started crying again! I was like, yes! (laughs) Because this is not a fear of mine now, but at the time, I was like, what what if that's us? Like, what if in order to achieve our dreams, like, we have to break up? And I was like, fuck! (laughs) Anyway, but I love that movie, and I still like it, even though it's... Like, it still makes me cry, even though I'm yeah. not in the same place that I was at that specific moment. And Love Moonlight it. One Best Picture? <laughs> <laughs> I was Moonlight actually going to make picture. a joke that, as I said, like, my La La Land explanation, I was going to go, I'm just kidding, just Moonlight's kidding. my Moonlight. favorite. <laughs> Moonlight, you guys won Best Film in L.A. <laughs> was it set in L.A.? It's in Florida. Florida. Because <laughs> that'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, the honorable mentions really quick are Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because oh. it is in the Hollywood industry. And very mm. clever and creative. And my other honorable mention is The Disaster Artist, because that movie slaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have... I'll let you do honorable mentions after, because so far yeah. no one's said mine. Okay. So I want, I want to keep them. I only have one honorable mention, which you guys haven't seen, so that's... I was like... Is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, that's in LA. Yes, uh, because Robert Downey Jr.'s character is um, evading the police when he accidentally runs into an audition, and they immediately oh, say... Right. You, you're the guy we want. We're going to fly you to L.A. He gets flown out to L.A. and is swept up in, like, Hollywood parties and agents. And it turns out he's just a pawn in this to, like, pretend he's, like, some new hit young actor to make the star they really want be like, fine, I'll do the project. Yeah. So they're, like, parading him all around L.A., but then he witnesses several murders. (laughs) And it just becomes, like, a great noir film, kind of like Mulholland Drive. It's also kind of similar themes to Barry. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot like that, too. Oh, Barry's so good. <laughs> Barry's so good. I miss Barry. <laughs> I fucking miss Barry. I gotta finish Barry. I got stuck in yeah. finish. Damn, it's good. It's gotta be back soon. Anyways, and then my answer is Nightcrawler. Yeah, that, oh, I, that was my yeah. honorable mention. Cool. That's a good one. It's great because it does take place in Hollywood, and it is that really, like, dog-eat-dog cutthroat world yeah. of... He stumbles into this career and thinks, like, yeah, I could do this, and then is just out for blood and is willing to take down everyone in his path to, like, make it in the news world Mm -hmm. of Hollywood, which is not, like, a part that I would think first, but it is still, like, the same kind of... He uh, still wants that kind of glitz. He wants the glitz Mm -hmm. and the glamour and the the attention. exploitative. Did you have other honorable mentions you want to share, Kimmy? I have, like, four. (laughs) I put Once Upon a Time Hollywood, obviously... Crazy Stupid Love and Honey Boy. Mm. I really thought that one was going to come up. I, Crazy Stupid Love takes place in LA. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. Interesting. I thought of another one just like off the top of my head when I was doing this because it was like 
one of the first times I noticed it was L.A. It's not set in Hollywood, but I love the movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel. And, like, I just really liked watching. They go, like, on um, a hike through Runyon Canyon, and, like, that's where Mm. you can see the Hollywood sign. They break into the Hollywood Bowl at night and sing songs on the stage. And, like, that's fun. Because I was like, I've been there. And that's that's the whole reason you go to L.A. to point and go, it's the thing from that thing. <laughs> Next time I'm going to bring a list and go, <clears throat> this is from this movie, this movie, this movie, this, this movie. movie, this movie. I we was... went to Murder House. So cool. I felt very fortunate to have watched Mulholland Drive and then the next day have a full trip to L.A. planned. And I, like, definitely just geeked out. Like, I, I parked on the Hollywood Walk Aww. of Fame. And I went to that Cinerama theater that's shaped like a dome. And took a picture of it because I was like, it's the one from Once Upon a Time Hollywood. It's actually not, but I pretended it was. (laughs) Next Next question. question. This one is really more open to listing movies, which we haven't done in a while. If you were to be a film professor, what movies would you insist be on your syllabus? Or what would you be really excited to teach or talk about? Okay, I'm not going to talk for very too long about these. I know two of which I've already spoken at length about. If I were a film professor, I would for sure teach Synecdoche, New York. Ah, makes sense. It is what I believe to be one of the best films ever made. Ever. Screenwriting-wise. I do still want to see that. Filmmaking-wise, metaphorically, symbolically, it's it's fantastic. And I think that with a group of students, we would be able to dissect it for a million years. Mm -hmm. I would teach Marriage Story. Because I think that that has such amazing screenwriting. Like I said, you know, go back and listen to our other episodes because I already talked about its relationship to theater. And I think that's very important when it comes to filmmaking. I feel like a lot of actors that I know in school had been required to go do a production class. Mm -hmm. And most of the times production people... Or, or filmmaking people are not required to do an acting, an acting class. class. Yeah. And I think in order to be a really good director, you need to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for And sure. what they're going through and, and how to work with them and stuff like that. I just thought that that was super apparent in this movie. I'm not sure if Noah Baumbach did it, but the relationship between filmmaking and theater is, mm-hmm. is just obviously so apparent. Uh, lastly, I would teach Birdman. Ah, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of any of those three, but I definitely thought you were going to take other ones off my list. Oh, no. Yeah, I would teach Birdman. I think the the dialogue in that one is great, too. It was, like, super revolutionary for the time. Now everybody wants to do a (laughs) one-shot. I know that at times it didn't, like, fully serve a purpose in the way that, you know, 1917, it served, like, a really particular purpose. But it was, like, crazy. Everyone was freaking out. You Mm -hmm. can do what you want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think Michael Keaton is amazing. All those actors in that Naomi are Watts. so great. Hey, it's Naomi Watts. <laughs> is she in the house? Yeah. yeah. I've she only seen it once. One I don't the remember actresses. her being in it. Oh. Um, she's the one that... Um, Edward Norton. Edward Norton's like, we should really fuck. And oh, she's gosh. like, you're an idiot! <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we all wanted to say that to Edward Norton? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> do you want me to go next or do you want to go? You next. Okie dokie. Um, so for mine, I would teach a whole semester... Denis Villeneuve films. Mm. <laughs> Just all of his films? All of them. They're great. <laughs> yeah. They're so good. Um, I watched his, like, black and white film that's in French because he's French-Canadian. <laughs> that was really good and, like, really scary, too. Um, like, Enemy, Sicario. 
And then obviously arrival, like arrival would be like the culminating, <laughs> write your final paper about this. It better agree with me in every way. <laughs> if I don't like your opinion, do you fail my class? Or like, honestly, like give me new opinions. I'm down to think more about this film. Uh-huh. Um, just so long as they're nice. <laughs> so like, obviously I would want arrival to be a part of my class, but like, I think it'd be cool to have like a Deville Neuve uh-huh. type thing too. But then I also picked some other ones because... I think that they're great, and these two are ones that I got shown in high school. Oh. Uh, because I took, like, the elective history route where, like, you could take a whole bunch of extra history classes along with just, like, the core history classes. So I took, like, a whole year on Vietnam and a whole oh. year on, like, World War Two, And then one of them that I got to take was A History of Rock and Roll. And I watched, this is Spinal Tap, which I'd already seen beforehand, and then just have a teacher, like, want to talk about it and want to go into it. It was, like, one of the revolutionary, like, mockumentary-type films made by Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. And it's hysterical. It's about, like, a British rock band, and they're just the worst. I kind of know about it. Yeah, Christopher Guest is the director, and it's it's just really funny. Um, And then another one that I think is just really brilliant and it's like from a production standpoint because it's the filming of a live concert it's um talking heads stop making sense Mm. and it's just a concert from start to finish but it's theater and it's also filmmaking because like there's lighting there's sound design there's costumes there's so much stuff and it's it's a live performance but it's it's really amazing and i think that that's super cool and i love it Thinking of more foreign films, I definitely think Parasite should be taught in schools now. For sure. And, like, can't, like, so jealous of those kids entering film school now who get yeah. to watch that, whereas, like, my teacher was just like, no, we all must watch Casablanca. That was the only foreign film I put on this list, because why wouldn't it be Oh, I think you put Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> get that was it the only shitty Spanish. film I put on mine. <laughs> Um, and then another one that I do teach to my 8th graders, and uh, I, I definitely think it'd be cool to talk about it, like, at an adult level or in college, is Life is Beautiful. Knew it. Yeah. I love that one. Nice. And I started watching it today with my 8th graders. Oh, my Yeah, because we're in our Holocaust Didn't you unit. say you watched it in school, Kimmy? I did. I, I watched cool. it in Italian class. Oh, my ah. Italian. Yeah. That's nice. Let me just say that an 8th grader watched the first <laughs> 45 minutes. And as he's walking out the door, loudly goes, why was he speaking in Spanish? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I thought it was the funniest thing. That's awesome. Because everyone else took something more away from it. Yeah, a bunch of kids sighed and groaned, and they were like, oh, my God, it's Italian. You uncultured swine. It's better in Italian. Like, they have it dubbed in American. Oh, never. And it's way Ooh. better in Italian. I can't imagine watching that. I watched, like, two minutes of a Bong Joon-ho movie, and... Realized it was dubbed, and I was like, "What is? Ha- Ew, gross!" And I, why would you want to watch something dubbed rather know. than reading the subtitles? I don't know, but <laughs> that, that was what disgusting. this DVD default played, and then I had to take it out. And yeah, put that's it back gross. In. Yeah. And then my last one, a big one, would be Thelma and Louise. Oh, that's good. Teach it to everybody. Make <laughs> everyone watch good. it five times. What's the purpose of teaching it? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like as a film teacher to see. Females and female relationships portrayed on screen in a way that I think is pretty revolutionary, especially in terms of female friendship, and that was, like, a big catalyst for a lot of movies that we ended up getting in, like, the 90s and the aughts and all that stuff, as well as it is, like, a classic Western, but we're getting it in a newer context and with a better context, in my opinion, as opposed to, like, we're just a couple of men who are outlaws. It's, like, instead, no, we should see it from a perspective that might actually 
be relevant to today's standard, as well as screenwriting, Kimberly, as well as film, yeah, costumes. Full name. <laughs> Kimberly. Don't ask me why we should watch Thelma and Louise. Ask me why you shouldn't watch Thelma and Louise, and I'll punch you in the face. So those are my answers. Cool. So, to piggyback off of Courtney, the Denis Villeneuve film that I would pick is Blade Runner 2049. Coolio. Because, one, for the cinematography, because you need something in there that's... I, so, as I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about the different classes we took, and I had a really hard time, because I'm like, well, different movies serve different purposes, you yeah. know? So, Blade Runner is a lot about storytelling, a lot about cinematography. Also, I know that... <laughs> People would argue, I'm sorry, why don't you teach the first Blade Runner that was revolutionary? I would like to say, no thank you. <laughs> I would formally like to say, sexist, next. It is uh, not Ridley Scott's Thelma Louise. <laughs> Therefore, 2049 is the way to go. Second, I would like to teach Swiss Army Man, because I think it needs to be taught that you can be wacky and creative, and that's a an effective use of storytelling. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've deleted some obvious choices off of here, just so you know, but I wanted to pick Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because, <laughs> I really was going to say, like, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3 or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a class in <laughs> shitty acting. I was really what excited. What not to do. I was really excited to hear your reasons. <laughs> No, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, because I wanted to throw on an animated film. Right. Similar to Swiss Army Man, this shows you how what you think of of a storytelling can be changed, and you can always do something new and different, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be with live action or with cartoons or whatever. You can always find something new to do and a new way to tell your story. Lastly, and I have noticed this solely from the amount of times I've shown this movie to people, is Die Hard, I would show. Because I think it is a really good example of how you can tell a really tight, simple story without front-loading with exposition, without just dumping information on you. Because as you watch this film, pretty much every single thing that happens is important and is going to come back later. Or is telling you information you need to know without just saying, oh, I'm here because this, and I'm going to meet my wife, but we're not together right now, blah, blah, blah. Like, he goes to the party and tries to look up what we know to be his last name, and she is not listed in his last name. She's listed in her last name. And so it's like, this isn't something that's written in the dialogue, but it's something written in the script as a creative and a way that makes sense for him to find out she's using her maiden name. Um, also, I just think it's a really good film as far as action, and I think it's a really good film as far as acting goes. And at the time, was probably a pretty big effing deal. And still is a classic. Awesome. Well, thanks for answering that, guys. Let's get into Mulholland Drive! <laughs> I let these two watch a trailer, and I read them the logline for the movie, which I'm thinking I might do for this, just because it's so... It's such a weird movie. Yeah. So I'll give you just a very tiny one. It says a dark-haired woman is left amnesiac after a car crash. She wanders the streets of Los Angeles in a daze before taking refuge in an apartment and is there discovered by Betty, a wholesome blonde who has come to the City of Angels seeking fame as an actress. 
What do you think this movie is about, though, and what crazy predictions would you like to make? Well, I laughed because what I saw the trailer was going to be the extent of my (laughs) explanation, which is exactly what you just read. (laughs) But I guess if I'm, like, trying to really get into what's not revealed in that logline, I would say the brown-haired woman... Who then dyes her hair and cuts it, or wears a wig. They're doing some, like, single white female situation to, like, go undercover. Like, but she looks very similar to Naomi Watts. Yeah, like her wig. Well, th- this is why because Naomi Watts shows up in Los Angeles. She's trying to be new movie star, right? She's got stars in her eyes, and she's being invited to all these clubs and things like that. She's an A-lister, maybe, or something like that. Not an A-lister, but she's getting invited to all these parties and stuff like that. And maybe one of the parties she's invited to is this Silencio Club where the brown-headed woman says, something happened to me there. What do I do? And they're like, well, you dress up like me. I've gone to too many of these parties anyway. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You dress up like me and you go find out what happened to you at this club. And I kind of feel like what happened during this club is kind of like some shady underground sex club business. Kind of like that one shitty plot line that they had in Bates Motel TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that's what's going on. Oh. Also, there's like some voodoo or something like that. Like, they they hypnotize you so that you forget about the shady business, you know? (laughs) And now she's been assaulted and also she can't remember what her name is. Okay. And Naomi Watts is going (laughs) to help her out. I kind of hope that I'm wrong, because if I'm right, then all David Lynch is the same. So I'm going to try to make my predictions without giving spoilers for Twin Peaks. But I feel like it's Twin Peaks in every way. And by that I mean that this woman, we saw her like in a car and a guy has a gun to her head and he, I forget even what he says, but he's like, I'm going to kill your ass. And <laughs> she's like, don't do that. And then they like get in a car crash. Probably because he was looking at her and not at the road. (laughs) They get a car crash. Then she has amnesia. So I bet, ooh, maybe Naomi Watts was driving the other car. That's like far out predictions, but in the trailer we didn't see who was driving the car. Maybe it was on purpose. Okay, now I'm going in a different direction. (laughs) But what I was going to say at the heart of it is that I think something bad happens to her, like, Someone was going to kidnap her, or I think this chick is an A-lister. I think the chick, the brown-haired chick, is an A-lister, and Naomi Watts meets her and maybe latches onto her under the ruse of trying to help her, but it's really to, like, leech off her fame, because she's, you know, new in the town. How does nobody know who she is, then? The brown-haired chick? Yeah. Does nobody know who she is? Well, she's trying to figure out who she is. Why? Well, she doesn't know which friends to go to. If I forget who I am, like, I have my house, but... But like it's if, like saying Saoirse Ronan forgets who she is, knocks on her door, and we're like, we don't know either. <laughs> Let's figure this out together. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if you're if you're stranded somewhere that is not your house, LA is big. It's not like I'm gonna like knock on the next door and they're gonna be like, oh, Cynthia, nice to see you yeah. today. Is your name <laughs> Cynthia? Now? But they will if it's Saoirse Ronan. They'll be like, oh, oh I see it's, what it's you're saying. You know, <laughs> like if Jessica Chastain walked up the street and she's like. I don't remember who I am. I'll be like, you're Jessica Chastain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I see what you're saying. So maybe she is just really in the... I want her to be, like, in the scene, but maybe she's not, like, 
actually famous. Like she was she was in season one of you and that's it. <laughs> Can I like slide in here really quick? Into my DMs. <laughs> like because I'm gonna forget this. I haven't seen a lot of David Lynch. I've yeah. seen the Red Room scene from Twin Peaks and that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this direction I'm going is like, you know, David Lynchian or not. Yeah. But um what if the reason nobody is telling this famous lady who she is is because all of L.A. Oh, God. Hates her? No, all of L.A. is some kind of cult faction. Oh. And they all are under, like, they're all trying to, they, nobody's going to say, oh, you're Jessica Chastain. Yeah. Because they're trying to, like, keep it a secluded, like, thing, you know? And that's David Lynch's, like, thing about Hollywood being, like, it's just a cult. It's a big old cult. and Which, like... Also, going <laughs> off of what you just said, though, about, like, people recognizing her, maybe that's part of why, again, if Naomi Watts is the one who hit her with the car, Naomi Watts is like, no, you need to go, we need to disguise you so you don't get hurt. Wink, wink. It's so no one tells her who she is. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, but I keep getting off track, thankfully, because I keep thinking of more predictions. But what I was going to say is, like, in Twin Peaks, there's a lot of supernatural stuff. And there's a lot of, like, things that, even in a storytelling sense, don't really make sense. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking this Silencio Club, the entire club, reminds me of the vibe of the Red Room. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it might even be a dream, which is what the Red Room is, is a dream. So maybe in the Silencio Club, there's a lot of weird supernatural or creepy clues that don't seem to make sense. They all seem avant-garde and, like, David Lynch-y. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of the movie, you realize they were clues all along to her identity. Mm. Cool, yeah. That's where I'm going to stick it for now. I'm already so overwhelmed, guys. I'm already going to watch this movie. There's so much to get into, and I did so much research, and I have so many facts. I have learned that when I do too much research, I'm like, well, this is a six-hour episode now. I'm so nervous. (laughs) I'm excited. It's because it's, oh, okay. Let's start with some facts. Ooh. Mulholland Drive was originally written and produced to be a spin-off of Twin Peaks. Oh! Okay. Sorry, eardrums, all the people listening. <laughs> About I, I kind of did it on purpose. <laughs> character Audrey Horn moving to LA to make it as a star. Uh, Audrey Horn is the one who showed up to Comic-Con and was like, pay me for my autograph, but I will not come to the panel for Twin Peaks. Yeah, Wait, nobody pays for that? autographs. Who is that she's in Twin the, Peaks? She's not in the Red Room scene, so you might not recognize oh, yeah. her. She has short, brown, curly hair, and she's like the slutty one. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. Like the rich one who's like, oh, let me make this about me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. She's like the character from Uncut Gems. <laughs> I didn't see that either. Oh, oh. <laughs> for some reason I thought you did. You, you think did. Julia Fox is like that? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to make this all about me. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> not to hype this film up too much. But it has been regarded as the best film of the 21st century. Wow. It said that on the trailer. Yes, by a global number of critics put together by the BBC. And I think that's really interesting because we barely made a dent in the 21st century. Yeah. It's 2020. Um, But I think it's great because it has consistently made people's number one top pick. When really film lists like AFI and stuff, they just like all are like Casablanca and they go yeah, back yeah. like 80 yeah. freaking years you and instead we get this. Interesting about this, obviously I haven't seen it yet or even heard your explanation, but Twin Peaks I look back on really fondly, but I don't know 
if or when I would ever rewatch it because it's takes a long time and mm. there's stuff I remember from it that I really liked but it would be nice to have it in a movie version where I can watch it in a sitting and be wipe my hands of it for the day. Same because I watched Twin Peaks in high school and I did not watch the new one because I was like that was too long ago and it was too much of a mood. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's for that time period. Yeah. Yeah because like I worked in a bookstore then and one of my co-workers was like always so cool and older than me and suggesting things to me and she like brought me the DVDs. Oh wow. And I like watched them and I was like that was amazing. Yeah. And then she's like next you gotta watch Fire Walk With Me and I was like no. <laughs> Fire Walk With Me wasn't amazing. <laughs> Anyways my last couple fun facts are about the casting for this film. David Lynch, the weirdo that he is, decided I'm going to start casting films based entirely upon people's headshots. Whoa. <laughs> and it's been said that if David Lynch looks like if he's given five photographs of potential actresses and he likes the second one, he won't even look at three, four, and five. <gasps> Naomi Watts knew this about him and when she got called in for a meeting with him, she knew I had to jump on this immediately because he might... That might be it. Like, he might go and find someone else that he likes more, like, the second he sees another photograph. Yeah. Um, so she was brought in for this after 10 years of unsuccessful auditioning in Los Angeles, and she was about ready to give up. Was this before The Ring, then? Yep. Cool. This got her The Ring, which David Lynch actually passed up directing. Wow. He passed up directing The Ring, as well as American Beauty. Interesting. Hmm. To do his own thing. Because he like, likes to write his own stuff. Yeah. So he did Mulholland Drive instead, and that really got Naomi Watts on the map. And I saw a really cute interview of her where after this film, obviously, she got The Ring, she got um, an Inarito film called 21 Grams, and then she got King Kong. Oh, yes. After just so much time failing as an actress, or so she thought, she, like, really looks back fondly to this time when David Lynch called her, and she does, like, this hysterical impression of him every time she talks about him, where she, like, beams, and she, like, fake smokes a cigarette, <laughs> and she does this dorky American accent, and she's, is like... Is she not American? She's not. No. She is <laughs> Australian and British. I mean, I don't know her that well, but I think shocking. Nicole Kidman. Her Nicole Kidman told her to stick around and keep auditioning Aww. when she was about to give up. I know. Anyway, she's doing this David Lynch impression, and she goes, Naomi, anyone who sits in the hand of King Kong will be a movie star for life. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, like, so proud of that moment. That's cute. Anyways, I'm not going to go into too many more things leading up to this film. The last one I will say, though is Laura Herring, who plays the dark-haired woman, again got cast based upon her photo mostly, and then was called in to have a meeting with David Lynch, because he didn't do auditions for this. He instead had meetings with people. Okay. And she was called while driving in L.A. She said she was on the 10 freeway. OMG. And she gets a call, and they're like, can you come in to meet David Lynch right now? And then she crashed her car. Just like in the like, movie. No, I can't. I just got into an accident. Can I reschedule? And they were like, yes. And her character gets into a car yeah. crash in the first scene oh of the movie. Oh my god. That's cray cray. Anyways, the only other film Laura Herring had done, guess what it was? Firewalk with me. What was it? Blue Velvet. <laughs> it was a sequel to what was already a sequel. She was in. Silent Night, Deadly Night <gasps> 3, which is Stop. the sequel to Garbage Day. <laughs> That's amazing. No way. Kimmy, you're supposed to know what it's called. It's Garbage Silent Day. Night, Deadly Night 2. And she was in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Right. Amazing. Oh, wait, dude, that's so 
funny. Garbage day. I don't know if there's as iconic of a line as that. Wow. But I hope so. Good for her. I know, right? Alrighty, let's get into this. I'm ready. The movie opens with this weird, like, 1950s iPod commercial. Is that true for an iPod? No. (laughs) Do you remember when iPod commercials were, like, a silhouette dancing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. It's like that. It's a bunch of, like, silhouettes, but then also real people, and they're all doing, like, a jitterbug dance. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's like a fun, jazzy 15. It's like these couples, and they're dancing and stuff, right? Then we have flashing on screen, like, in kind of overexposed light. It's Naomi Watts, and you can see her face. She's smiling, but it's like, it's like flash bulbs are going off in her face, Mm -hmm. and it's laid over the different people dancing and all that stuff. And then we hear someone breathing. We see these red bed sheets, and the camera kind of, like, falls into them. It's not so much a zoom as it is like a push in and it's like the camera actually like going into the sheets. Then it says Mulholland Drive and it's the street sign. We see some driving shots. There's a car going down the road. There's two men in the front and in the back seat we have a woman wearing black. She's confused because the car stops. The driver turns around and he's got a gun in her face. Oh no. Then it's cutting back to the road and we see these crazy teens mm. drag racing down the road. There's two cars, and they're one's driving obviously in the wrong lane. The other one's driving in the right lane, but they're speeding oh, down I the see. hill like in a race. Mm-hmm. The lady in the black is really confused. She says, what are you doing? We don't stop here. And they say, get out of the car. One of the men gets out of the car and goes around to the back door to like try and open her door and pull her out. It's a lot of back and forth cuts to the crazy teens. Yeah. And suddenly... Car accident. They come barreling straight into the other car. Mm-hmm. Horrible accident. It seems like the woman is pretty unscathed. She gets out of the car. She, like, rolls out. But then we see that half of her face is, like, covered in blood. It's, like, ah. dripping down from her forehead. And she is on top of Mulholland Drive, which is, like, this big scenic route in L.A. And so she starts having to hike down. Are these <sighs> dudes dead? Dudes are dead. Dudes are dead. Yeah. She instead, like escapes into, like, the brush and is hiking downward. She makes it to Sunset Boulevard, which, have you guys seen Sunset Boulevard? I'm sure I have. The movie? Not oh, the street. No. <laughs> no, I haven't. I should have clarified that. <laughs> this film has a lot of parallels to Sunset Boulevard. Okay. Isn't that Norma Desmond? Norma Desmond. But I shan't say more about it because spoilers. Ooh. Next we see the woman, and she is spying on some people outside of an apartment She's looking at this red-headed woman who is going back into the house and, like, retrieving her keys from the apartment. It looks as if she's moving out of this apartment. And so our car crash victim sneaks into the apartment. Uh, ooh, she she's doing a arrested. parasite business. <laughs> she's doing a parasite business. <laughs> she's going to hide in there, and that's Naomi Watts' new house. <laughs> You're like, not boom, I'm your new roommate, bitch. She's having a laugh at her ass. <laughs> it's me, your roommate. What's your name? Your roommate. <laughs> your new roommate. Anyways. Here's where I'm going to preface some scenes by saying we're going to have a lot of scenes that make no sense. Yeah. And don't connect to a bigger plot. Get ready. Okay. Ever? I'm not. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, just get ready for a bunch of little choppy things. We're Makes taking sense. a break from our car crash victim, and instead we're going to get these little scenes. Okay. okay. We're inside of a Winkies. What the 
a wink? Like a winky, like from fucking Oz? No, I'm getting there. <laughs> In the original script, it was a Denny's. Oh, it's a oh, it's a diner. They made up their own, and it's called Winkies. I I'm it. obsessed. Yeah, it's the Winkies on Sunset Boulevard. There's these two men sitting across from each other in the diner, and one is talking about a very scary dream that he's had. The waitress comes by, and she's got a little name tag on, and it says Diane, and she pours one of them coffee, and the other says no thank you, and goes to pay. The two men, like, lock eyes from across the restaurant, and then one, the one who's talking about his dream starts walking out of the restaurant, and the other follows. And they're walking through the parking lot to, like, where this, like cement wall and, like, a dumpster is, Mm -hmm. and it's a very slow shot of them, like, creeping up to it and knowing that they have to round the corner, and it's so slow of them just, like, walking up and they're about to round the corner of this dumpster, and then, from behind it, the second they do, out pops this, like, horrible, derelict monster. Like, they've definitely got, like, a prosthetic nose... They're covered in just, like, garbage and green, and it's so scary. Like, it's a jump scare. It startles the man, the one who was talking about his dream, and he instantly dies. Oh! He just falls down. And from what I read online, people are like, then he dies. And I'm like, well, it looks like he fainted, but they're like, he's dead. (laughs) Like a fright or something? Yeah, like he died of it. And it made me think, like, he's talking about his scary dream, and then he sees this monster. Did the other guy not see it? Because the other guy's, like, helping him as he's falling and collapsing. And that's it. That happens in Twin Peaks, where people see that Mike guy. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I do. This is instead just, like, garbage person. (laughs) Scary. Now we have some phone calls. A phone rings, and it's a close-up on these lips, and the lips say, the girl is still missing. At the other end, we see the back of a head. Then a new phone rings, and just an arm goes to reach it and pick it up. And then another phone rings. This one is black, and it is next to a red lamp. Ah, that's us. Black and red, black and red. (laughs) That's us, black and red. Something very interesting about this film... David Lynch has not really got on record about a lot of things for it because he wants it to be up to your interpretation. Yeah. So he's not really one to just answer all your questions. I love that. I don't yeah. think anyone should. Exactly. And he also told the actors when they were at Cannes, like, Justin Thoreau was like, well, I was instructed every single publicist and interviewee is going to want to come up to you and say, what is this film about? Yeah. Like, tell me. It's and... about a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and he was told, like... As soon as you say something, that's what all the movie is, when really it should be up to the viewer. Like, as soon as you say it, that's what it is, and instead it should be up to interpretation. And so, they've kind of not really gone on record about too much of it. But David Lynch has listed ten keys to unlocking Mulholland Drive. Ooh, wow. What the... That's sexy. And clue number two is notice appearances of the red lamp. Whoa. Yeah. I skipped over number one, because it was a spoiler. Oh. I'll tell you at the end. This Number. also makes me think of, um, without spoiling things, in Haunting of Hill House, all the times you see red. Oh, exactly, yeah. It's a lot like that. I'll just kind of go through them like as we hit different things. Number four on the list is an accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. Where was it, guys? Mulholland Mulholl Drive. Drive. There you go. It makes sense more later. And then the other ones, we kind of haven't gotten to them, so there's there's not much to say. It's what like, a fun thing to release. Super mm-hmm. fun, and I've like been like combing through it, and I'm just like... Uh, like, I started rewatching the movie at two times the speed because I like, didn't have time to watch it all before this, and so I was just kind of, like, writing down different times I saw things. So, a black phone rings next to a red lamp. We don't see who answers it. 
Smash cut to Naomi Watts. Finally! She is so happy. She's the happiest person you've ever seen. She is at the LAX airport. She's, like, coming down an escalator. There's, like, fake palm trees, like, painted on things. She steps outside, and she's got just, like, the biggest stars in her eyes and the hugest, dumbest grin. And it is so sweet, and it is just everything you would expect from a naive wannabe starlet. She walks out, and she has just hysterical, over-the-top dialogue. She's, she's talking to this old woman who she clearly met on the plane, like, they're friends from the plane, and she says, I can't believe it! She's, like, gazing out in L.A., and there's no smog at all. <laughs> <laughs> and she's talking to Irene, who's this old woman, and they have just, like, this really hysterical dialogue. Where... Irene's so the woman <laughs> with the log. Oh, no, Irene's Irene's not like the log lady. She's just like your typical grandma. She doesn't have a log. What's the log? The log lady from Twin Peaks. There's a woman in Twin Peaks who speaks to a log and it tells her secrets. It's so cool. It actually does, though. It tells her secrets. The friend who gave me the Twin Peaks DVDs was log lady for like three Halloweens in a row. (laughs) She looked just like her. Anyways, they have this really funny dialogue where Irene is like, I'll be sure to look for you on the big screen, Betty. Aww. And she goes, that'll be the day, Irene. And they chuckle. Betty and Irene. Yeah, that's I wrote that down. That's <laughs> Betty funny. and Irene, because it's so ridiculous. Uh, Irene's husband arrives and like whisks her away, and Betty just smiles so big and like waves goodbye to her old friends. Then she looks down at her feet and goes, oh, my bags! Because her bags are missing. But it turns out the cab driver just put them in the cab. <laughs> and she says, he says, where to? And she just like beaming tells him the address. And I meant to write it down, but I forgot to. So she just. Mulholland Drive. It's not that. <laughs> it's a different street in Hollywood. So she tells him the address. And then she gets into the car and she's like smiling out at it. And then we see Irene and her husband in a different car. And it's terrifying. <gasps> what are they doing? smiling. Ah! They're like this. Ew. They're staring right at the camera. The audience cannot see you. (laughs) They're staring and uh, they're in the backseat of a different car and it's just like their eyes are bulging. Their mouths are like plastered shut. Disgusting. And they're just smiling and I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) Then it cuts away. Wait, does Naomi Watts recognize that that's strange or no? She doesn't see them. They're in a different car. Oh. Like we just cut to a different car. And we see these old people okay, being right. creepy. My cult thing is happening. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's the Truman Show. Kind of. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. We see the Hollywood sign. It's so glamorous. And Betty is just, uh, she's so happy. She arrives at a complex. It's a really cute complex. And this old woman who just seems... It's a movie, so they're going to go, it's only $5 a month. Oh, right? <laughs> Yeah, she's just so old Hollywood. She's, like, probably got on, like, a fur coat uh, and, like, a low bun and really gross blue eyeshadow and, like, her uh, eyebrows are painted on. She's, like, an old woman. And mm-hmm. she's, like, oh, call me Coco, dear. Everyone does. And, like, her dialogue sounds really intentionally scripted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Betty is so excited because she's arriving at her aunt's apartment. We have these long panning shots that are following her through the apartment. Betty looks so happy. She's looking around. It's like a gorgeous apartment. Yeah. It's really pretty. And we're just watching Betty walk from room to room, smiling. And she gets to the bedroom and notices that there is a dress and a purse on the floor. And she just looks at it and she eyes it. And she's like, oh, that must be my aunt's who left it behind. She goes into the bathroom and she looks at herself in the mirror. And then she goes to the shower, which is like 
one of those doors that's, you know, showers are kind of glossy, the doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can still see in them. Yeah. But it's distorted. There's a total woman in there. What? <laughs> and Betty just still slowly just opens it and goes, oh no! <laughs> Closes it. <laughs> <laughs> so you see the woman full on. We don't see it, but we know she does. But we can see, like... Well, that's what... You see yeah. the silhouette. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, and I can see... It's flesh-colored. And she went, oops! <laughs> yeah, she walks in on... But, like, the water wasn't, wasn't running either. Ew. She just walks in on, like, a naked woman standing in the shower, and she closes it, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that my aunt was gonna have somebody here, like... And the woman just says to her, there was an accident. And the door is closed, and it's kind of scary, and Betty doesn't really get it, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, like... Do you need anything? And there's silence. This is not the same place we saw earlier, is it? Or it is. is. Oh, it is. This is the one that we know the woman crept up into. Okay. Yeah. I was just, I, I assumed so, but I just wanted to double check this isn't a new location. Yeah. It's the same apartment. And she says to the woman, what's your name? She gets no response. She's like, okay, I'm going to go unpack. And yes. then she just leaves. Uh, the woman steps out of the shower and her hair is wet. She's like already showered beforehand and she's looking around the bathroom, and she just looks so bewildered, and she sees a poster for a Rita Hayworth film. Rita Hayworth is interesting. Shawshank! Shawshank Redemption. Mm. And she's like a classic, like, Marilyn Monroe type. I just don't personally know her. Yeah. Then she comes back out later, and we see her talking to Betty. Betty says to her, I just came here from Deep River, Ontario, and look at me now, I'm in Hollywood. And I guess Deep River, Ontario is like a a notoriously referenced David Lynch thing. Like, oh. he, he refers to that town. And she says that I came here to be an actress. My aunt is letting me stay in her apartment, and that's what I'm here to do. How do you know my aunt? And the woman just kind of says to her, I really have to sleep. And she's like, oh, okay, that's fine. What's your name? And she says, Rita. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we have a board room. Did, did you personally recognize that poster to be Rita Hayworth? It says Rita Hayworth on it. Got it. That's, that yeah, helps. That's where she got it. <laughs> yeah, it's like Rita Hayworth. Okay. I was yeah. like, did you just know that so it's fun for you that you that know that? That would have been fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't think I could pick Rita Hayworth out of a lineup. Yeah, yeah. Now is a boardroom meeting scene. It's all red and blacks. Ooh. And we have Justin Thoreau, who is playing Adam Kesher, and he is a Hollywood director. People are kind of hounding him and they're telling him, you need to have an open mind when you're recasting the lead for this next film. And he's handed a headshot of a recommendation. It's a blonde woman named Camilla Rhodes. He yells, no way! Six of the top actresses want this part and I'm going to pick whoever I want. We have this really long, slow shot of like the head honcho producer boss guy and he like slowly picks up an espresso shot. And like, it's just like hard eye contact after like, Adam's had his little tantrum, and the guy drinks the espresso shot, and, like, holds it in his mouth for a second, and then picks up a napkin and, like, spits it out into the napkin, and it, like, runs down it. And I was like, what is happening? He spits it out, and Adam yells at him, and he goes, she is not gonna be in my film! And the guy responds, it's no longer your film. (laughs) Then we have Adam outside of this meeting, And he goes to his own car, and he picks out a golf club, and he goes up, and he smashes the windshield of that guy's car. Nice. And apparently, this is a real thing, Jack Nicholson did. I kind of feel like I knew that. Right? It seems like something he would do. (laughs) And he was nicknamed something about, like, wherever he did it, like, Windshield Jack. (laughs) But but it was based upon the, the place that he did it. 
So he was given Mulholland a Jack. Mulholland Jack. Already after he has had his tantrum and he's smashed the car windshield, we're back inside with the studio head, and it is so much the red room scene from Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a red curtain. Oh. There's this weird glass wall, and so a studio head is talking through a glass wall. Kimmy walked in on me watching this. And Michael Anderson from Twin Peaks, who plays the little man in the red room scene. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He's on screen, but he's got... Laura Palmer. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's got a mustache, and he's also been made to look much bigger than he is. Like, his arms and his legs have been stretched out to be, like, much larger. Yeah. And so Kimmy's like, is that the guy from Twin Peaks? And I was like, no, this is like a... A full-sized person, <laughs> and it's not. They just they just gave yeah. him like longer limbs, which is really interesting. So he is in the Did scene. Did you at that moment were you saying that to throw her off? No, I was like I thought so too. But then they zoomed out and like see he's oh, like a, oh, oh, he's oh. like six feet tall. That's funny. Yeah. So I just thought like I don't know. David Lynch just likes to hire people who look the same. <laughs> They're brothers, right? The studio head is talking, and he says, "Shut it down," mm-hmm. meaning the production of the film. Here's another one of our, like, non-sequitur scenes that doesn't fit in anywhere. It is a hilarious scene of a hitman getting into some shenanigans. Okay. <laughs> we have this, like, dumb, blonde himbo, and he's wearing, like, a leather jacket, and he is talking up some guy in some office, and he's, like, laughing and chumming it up with him, and then all of a sudden he just pulls out a gun and shoots him. Yeah. But it has a silencer on it. Yeah. So no one really notices. He just shoots some guy in an office. Then he, like, leans down into him, and he's trying to position the gun in the guy's hand mm. so it looks like a suicide. But as he's, like, finagling the gun in his he hand... himself? No, it goes off again, and it goes through the wall into the next office, and we hear the person in the next office go, Ow! <laughs> And he looks around so confused, and he's like, oh no. So he leaves that office and goes into the next one, and in the next one we see a woman, and she's like a much bigger woman. So she was fully shot, and she just goes, something bit me real bad! And he's like staring at her, and she's like screaming because like it felt like something bit her. And she's like looking on the ground to see if it's like a bug or something. And he just kind of like sizes the moment up for maybe one second. And then walks up behind her and is like, let me see. And starts strangling her. Oh. But she's fighting back. And so they're, they're like, having this big tussle. And she's, like, dragging him into the hallway. And he's smaller than her, but he's, like, trying to choke her from behind. And as they're in the hallway, he looks down at the end of the hallway. And he sees a janitor. Oh, no. Just, no, like, he's going to kill the janitor. With a vacuum. And he starts yelling to the janitor. He's like, she's real hurt. You need to call for help. Can you come here and call for help? And it's clear he's strangling her. <laughs> and he starts pulling her back into the original office where he killed that other man. And he fully, like, chokes her and then shoots her in the head. The janitor makes it all the way to the room and sees this. And is just kind of standing there. And he's, like, a very just blasé person. He's just, like, staring, like, God damn it, I really have to deal with this? And he's just looking at this hitman who just killed two people. And he's just kind of hopelessly staring at him, and the hitman shoots him. Oh, no. And kills him. And then (laughs) shoots his vacuum. (laughs) The vacuum immediately sparks, and it's, like, going to start a fire. (laughs) The hitman is just so bumbling. Yeah. 
he eventually gets the gun into the hands of the guy he originally shot, so it looks like that guy killed the woman, Mm -hmm. then the janitor, then himself, but then the vacuum is sparking, and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off, and the hitman, like, looks around, he grabs, like, a random book off of the table, and then jumps out the fire escape. Okay. And that's it. Wow. (laughs) Reminded me of Fargo. I really liked it. That's what I feel like. Yeah. With the whole kidnapping scene? Uh Uh-huh. Betty is back in the apartment, and she's having a phone call with her aunt, and it's, again, really cheesy dialogue, and she's like, oh, you bet, Aunt Ruth, I'm gonna study my lines so hard, I'm sure to get the part. And it's just (laughs) really cute that she Mm -hmm. thinks that's all it is, is just you gotta memorize your lines, and she's like, maybe I'll study them on the couch, or I'll take some coffee out in the courtyard like a real movie star, and I'll learn all my lines so good you won't even know. And then she says, by the way, I met your friend Rita. I didn't know she was going to be here. You can kind of hear the aunt get really nervous on the phone. Betty's like, what do you mean? She goes, those aren't your grandparents. Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, you want me to call the police? Again, I really like this dialogue because it's serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, She doesn't know what to do, and she's like, I'll call you back. She goes and talks to Rita, who is crying, and Rita says, I don't know who I am. Betty suggests they check in her purse to see if maybe there's an ID. Mm -hmm. They open the purse, and there's tons and tons of money. Oh. oh. Tons of it. Like, like movie star money. Movie star money. Like, big wads of cash. As well as a very, very weird key. It's a blue key. It's like, yay big. To silencio. (laughs) It's like two inches big. And it's shaped like a Toblerone. Oh. I don't know how to describe it any other way. You know that chocolate that's like a triangle? Yeah. It's shaped like that. Oh, okay. It's like a triangle cylinder. Okay. But then at the end of it is like a normal handle for a key. Betty says to Rita, I wonder where you were going. And very dramatically, Rita whispers, Mulholland Drive. Oh. Mulholland Drive is where I was going. Betty says, well, we should find out if there was an accident there. We should call the police. We'll (laughs) pretend to be someone else. It'll be just like in the movies. And Rita's like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like the worst idea. But Betty's, like, gung-ho, and she's, like, really proud of her idea. Hey, police, was there an accident over at Mulholland Drive? (laughs) There was. Oh, no reason. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, that's that's about it. Adam is back at his home. He arrives to his home, and he parks, and he goes into it, and there's some, like, really funny, silly noir music. It's what I had playing for you guys when Ah. we walked in. Mm -hmm. And he's got this weird look on his face because... Something seems wrong in his house. (laughs) He walks into the back room of his house, and there is his wife in bed with another man. And they don't even try to hide it. They're both like, oh, Uh, oops, us in bed? (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) I really want to make this a guessing game of who you think the wife is in bed with, but, like, there's either no way you'll get it, or, like, all my hints will be so painfully obvious. Do you know who it is? You know who he is. John C. Riley. Oh, I wish. Somebody that we've already met in this film? No. She is in bed with a one-hit wonder who you would definitely know. A singer? Yes. You know him now based upon a relative. Is it Bob Dylan's son from The Wallflowers? <laughs> no. Good guess. A singer who's... It's much juicier than that. Like, you would know this man. Okay. A singer whose relative is way more famous than them. This is a dude. Yeah. <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> She's in bed with a dude. Okay. Is their relative a woman or a man? 
The relative is a woman. Oh, juicy. The woman is more famous than the guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> She's hotter. Oh, shit. I don't know. Donny Osmond. <laughs> Marie's not more famous than Donny. I don't know, but he seemed right for the time period. All right. That's not a bad guy. Do you want, like, crazy easy hint or, like, another step in the right direction hint? That one. His daughter... Is famous. Daughters. Oh, so he's older. <laughs> oh, that's well. This movie's also from two thousand one. Daughter's more famous, and she was alive by then. That's interesting. But she wasn't famous then. No. Oh. Oh. No. Who is it? Oh, oh, I know who it is. Who is it? <laughs> like Kayleen, have a moment. That if you no, I don't you. think I'm gonna get it. Who is it? It's fucking. Um... <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fucking Steven Tyler. No. No. Oh. <laughs> He's not a one-hit wonder. Oh, shit. I forgot that part. I forgot that part. Oh, shoot. Is it country? Mm. It's not Billy Ray It is. It is? <laughs> no way. Okay, yeah, I would have never got... Oh, but you said country. Okay. Yeah. I would have gotten there eventually. No, wow. My was Disney. <laughs> She's in bed with Billy Ray. Isn't that so weird? What the titties? And I was watching it, I was like, is that Billy Ray Cyrus? <laughs> what is he doing here? Uh, just being in bed wow. <laughs> with this wife. There's some really awful dialogue, something along the lines of, yeah, I'm in bed with another man. <laughs> he storms into their bathroom, and he grabs this, like, box. He starts leaving the bathroom, and she's, like, getting dressed and, like, yelling from on top of the bed. She's like, you come back here! And Billy Ray's just, like, chilling. Okay. And I actually really like this moment because it's visually cool and iconic. You're just kind of watching this fun freak out. He's taken her jewelry box. He's in an all-black suit. He goes to, like, a cabinet and he grabs a paint bucket of hot pink paint. And then he puts the jewelry box on the floor and she starts screaming and he starts dumping the pink paint all over her jewelry. Oh. All up in her box and it's... <laughs> <laughs> Are we still talking about the jewelry? (laughs) 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 He's dumping paint paint all over it, and she's like screaming and like smacking him, and the paint's kind of getting everywhere. And by the end of it, her jewelry is ruined, and he's got like these cool pink handprints like all over his suit. And it's kind of like his suit is now dirty, but it's covered in pink paint. It just looks really cool. Yeah. Like, it's totally cosplayable. It's, like, a nice, iconic iconic moment of, like, a costume looking a certain way. Yeah. I really liked it. He destroys her jewelry, and then he leaves. Yeah. That's the end of that. Betty and Rita hide her purse in a hat box inside of her aunt's closet. And then they decide to go to a payphone, and they call the police. Okay. And Betty's, like, so pleased with her plan. And she's on the phone, and she's, like, being really over the top. She's like... Was there an accident on Mulholland Drive? And they're like, yes. She's like, can you tell me what happened? And they're like, no. (laughs) She hangs up and she goes, the man wouldn't tell me anything that happened, but there was an accident. I tried. On Mulholland Drive. And it's just funny her relaying it to Rita because we obviously already know everything. Yeah. They go to a Winkies. (laughs) I love Winkies. (laughs) Me too. Love me some Winkies. Their waitress is named Diane, and she comes and she offers them coffee. Rita narrows in on this waitress's name tag and gets a look on her face. She's a bit puzzled by the name Diane. And then the waitress walks away, and Rita says, Diane Selwyn. 
Okay. That's who I remember. She remembers someone named Diane Selwyn. They go to a phone book. They're looking through it in back in their apartment. And this is like a really nice, iconic shot of the film. They find Diane Selwyn in there and they decide to dial her. And the two women are pressed like ear to ear with a phone uh. in between them. And they're both leaning in. Betty says the line, it's really strange to call yourself because she's assuming Rita thinks I am uh. Diane Selwyn. So she thinks that maybe she's actually Diane Selwyn. They call her, and they just get an answering machine. So she could be. And Rita is like, I don't think that's my voice. Okay. But they find an address for Diane Selwyn. And then we see Adam at, like, a really dingy, disgusting motel. And he's, like, checked into it, and it's, for whatever reason, clear he has a room there, like, at all times. It's, like, gross. And he says, like, thank you, Cookie, to the guy who runs the hotel. And he gets a call from his assistant, Cynthia. And Cynthia says, you're broke. And he says, what do you mean? And she says, these guys showed up, and they said that they've canceled all your accounts. You have no more money. He's, like, really confused. And he's, you know, he's, like, a big-time movie guy. He, why should he have no money? But then Cookie, the guy whose house he's staying at, also shows up and is like, you have no money. He says, but Cookie, I pay you in cash. He says, yeah, but you have no money in the bank. He's very confused. Okay. And it's clear there's, like, some, like, back dealings going on yeah. with mm-hmm. because of the tantrum that he threw and because the studio wants him yeah. to do something other than he's what he's doing. So they're, like, taking all of his money. And his wife is cheating on yeah. him. And even the gross motel that he wants to stay at isn't there. So he's on the phone with Cynthia. And she says, there's a man who wants to meet you. He's a cowboy, and you have to go meet him at the corral. Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. Adam, like, reluctantly is like, fine, whatever. Drives to the middle of nowhere to meet this cowboy. He arrives, and it's dark. There's nothing there. It's like a ranch. And all of a sudden, a light goes on, and the cowboy is standing right in front of him underneath the light. Whoa. The cowboy is just like... Is that like, a good shot? It's a nice shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the cowboy is just like a... Normal white dude. He's not, like, anything spectacular. He's got, like, a cowboy hat on and, like, a flannel. But what's interesting is they shaved off his eyebrows to give him, like, an eerie look. And he talks kind of monotone. And he's talking to him about how tomorrow you're going to go back to casting your movie. You're going to see many girls. But when you see the one whose headshot you've already seen... Which do you guys remember I said? The blonde one? Some blonde one. Camilla Rhodes. When you see the one you've already seen, cast her. The lead girl is not up to you. And Adam looks like a little annoyed by this, but doesn't really know what to say because he's like in the middle of nowhere and a cowboy is like giving him this cryptic information. And the cowboy says, if you see me one more time, you've done good. If you see me two more times, you've done bad. And then the light goes off and he's gone. (gasps) Really interesting. Yeah. That's so scary because even if you see him one more time, you'll always be looking over your shoulder for <laughs> to him to come another time. Exactly. I know, right? <laughs> the next morning, Betty and Rita are in the kitchen, and Betty says to her, You're still here? Whoa. No one wants you here. To Rita? And then is coming at her with a butter knife. Oh my god, Betty. What? <laughs> Betty? But actually, Rita is holding a script, and they're rehearsing some lines. Uh, <laughs> you got me, David. You got me. <laughs> this is a good one. Right? Um, so they're rehearsing lines, and 
Betty's really giving it her all, but it's really bad. Okay. And Rita is kind of like, like, she's never read words before. She's like, what do you mean? And Betty's just like, my parents are upstairs. Oh, no. And it's a really interesting scene because, like, she's a grown woman, and she's like, my father's upstairs, and if he knew what we were doing down here, he'd kill us. He'd kill us both. And I'm going to have to kill you. And she's, like, holding up the butter knife to her. And the two of them look at each other, and they burst into giggles. And Betty goes, and then I'm going to cry, and I'm going to have this big emotional moment. And they start laughing. And it's just so endearing what she thinks acting is, is that she can just, like, rehearse the scene one time, and then say, like, and then I'll cry. It'll It'll be so good, like... I'll get it, and I'll just get the part, and it's going to be awesome. It's really adorable. That's cute. Then they both laugh, and they say, wow, what a lame scene. Like, this is terrible writing. But Rita says to her, you're doing really well. You're going to be amazing. And Betty does this thing that is super cute, and I, like, hope it was improvised, because I told you how she does a really funny David Lynch impression, yeah. where she like, always has a fake cigarette and does, like, a really dorky American accent. Betty already is American, but Rita compliments her, and she goes, thank you, darling. Oh, And it's like so puffing on a cigarette. And then she turns around, and she goes, oh, my audition is in one hour! She has this, like, big smile. <laughs> and it's like, LA is crazy! <laughs> you can't just be hanging out an hour before your audition! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta be on the road already! But she tells Rita, when she gets back, they're gonna go to see Diane Selwyn, and they're gonna figure out who she is. She gets in the cab... And it's this really great shot of her arriving at a, what I'm assuming is the Paramount Studios lot, or it's one of the lots. She arrives at the lot, and it's like the gates are there, and she steps out of the cab, and it's like an even better smile than when she first got off the plane, because she's got this confidence about her, yeah. and she's stepping on to like the audition of her dreams right now. And something interesting from Sunset Boulevard is that Norma Desmond's car is parked in front of it. Ooh. Like, Ooh, a little nod to that. There it is. She gets to her audition. She's meeting all these people, and she's very overwhelmed, and she's smiling, and she's saying hi to all of them. Then this, like, much older actor, like in his 60s, he comes up to her, and he's her co-star, and he's like, all right, we're gonna do the scene, and he's, like, being really gross and suave, and he, like, grabs her and pulls her body right up against his, and he goes, I want to play this one real close and real like with that other woman that I did this with, the one with the black hair. I want to do it like that, but but even a little bit more. And Betty just kind of was like going for it, and I was immediately turned off. I was like, oh, this is so cringy and gross, and like, we know what's coming in the scene. Like, it's a fight. Yeah. It's supposed to be like a lot of like yelling from what she rehearsed with Rita. And he says, he just is like such a douche. She's like, you know, acting is reacting. Oh, and all these other actors <laughs> <laughs> I've done this one with. They all do it in the same way. They say the lines the same way every time. But Betty, let's do this one nice and close. And he, like, really, like, throws him into her and is just, like, like in the movies. Somehow, against, like, the track record of this movie so far, Betty is very into it and incredible. We're watching, like, a movie star. Suddenly, like, everything you know about her is gone. She is sultry. She is intense instinctual and she's doing all of these things with this guy and like her rehearsal of like what are you still doing here no one wants you here she is taking her time with each line and like whispering each word into like ear to ear and starts kissing his neck and it's like 
way over the top. He suddenly just pulled her in for this and it, it just like brought out the best in her. She is like a movie star and you feel like you're watching the real movie of what's gonna happen. Yeah. The line that she is supposed to yell of like, get out of here before I kill you. And then like she started giggling. She starts crying. She's like got her fist up in the air as if she's holding a knife to his throat, but it's so slow and really dark and scary because like she doesn't want him to leave. And she says, get out of here, but then kisses him and it's like a long kiss. And then it's like a whispered before I kill you. And she's crying. And I was like, oh, whoa. And there's real tears just streaming down her face. And everyone in this tiny little room starts clapping. It's the most excellent acting you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) (laughs) But the director is not pleased. The director's like a douche. And it's like, "Mm, that was okay. You'll hear from me again soon. And it's very similar to what the cowboy said to Adam. Of like, Ah. you'll see me again soon. If you hear from me once, (laughs) that's good. There's these guest casting directors that I told you were in the room. It's two women. And they immediately jump up and, like, grab Betty. And they're like, yeah, that was great. Say goodbye. Like, we're going to pop out of here real fast. And they, like, immediately whisk her away from the audition, like, very fast because they love her. And they're like, you are phenomenal. They get out of the casting room and they're, like, walking to the elevator. And they both immediately start bad-mouthing that movie and that director. They're like, he is a hack. That was the worst writing I've ever heard. That was awful. Oh my god, that was the worst thing ever. Not you, Betty. You were amazing. (laughs) Suddenly, she's like this instant hot commodity that's been swept up into Hollywood because these casting directors are like, we're taking you across the street to a better movie. Okay. And she's like, okay. They go across the street to Adam's movie. Ah! Adam is in a director's chair. Oh no, he's not gonna (laughs) pick the girl he's supposed to pick! (laughs) Adam, you're going to see the cowboy twice. (laughs) Adam is sitting in a director's chair, and he's looking at five singers in a sound booth. They're dressed like 1960s, like a a Supremes type group or something. Mm. And they're singing this song called 16 Reasons Why I Love You. And we get to hear, like, the whole song. They're, like, going through it. It's very slow, and then it pans out. We see it's actually Adam's movie that's being filmed. And then behind Adam, the casting directors and Betty enter. It's clear that they're walking into an audition for this movie. Adam turns around at just the right moment, and his eyes lock with Betty's. Yeah. It's like a big, like, oh, love yeah. at first sight, their eyes locking across the room, and it's like a zoom in on both of their faces. It's a great shot. The world stands still. It's awesome. But then a PA comes by and is just like, next up is Camilla. Oh, no. And she's the girl from the headshot, and she starts lip-syncing to a different song. She's now in the sound booth replacing those other people. And she's less good than the other people who were just there. The other girl who was doing the song before her was even better. She looks kind of nervous. But executives show up, and they're just staring down at him. And he's looking, like, from the girl to them. And he doesn't have anything else he can say. And he is very firm about it. It's, like, not even a second thought. He looks at them, and he says, this is the girl. Mm. And the executives say... Excellent choice. Yikes. Then it's a very tight shot of just of Betty's eyes, and then just of Adam's eyes, and then it's them looking across the room at each other, and she says to the casting people, she's like, I'm so sorry, I have to go, I have somewhere to be, and she runs away. Oh. She leaves, because she has to go help her friend. Her and Rita are in a cab, and they're approaching this apartment complex, 
And as they're driving up down the street, they see all these men staked out outside of the apartment complex, like sitting in cars. And they duck down and they're really scared. So they go around to the back of the Sierra Bonita apartments. And then there are more men back there, too. So they, like, have to duck down behind all these hedges. They see, like, these men that are very similar to the ones who were in the car at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. They're very scared. But they see a woman who's got these suitcases and she's leaving out of another apartment. It mirrors kind of the shot of Aunt Ruth leaving the apartment of, like, this woman walking out with these suitcases. And they realize that maybe the men are just there to escort this woman. And so they're kind of like, it's okay, it's fine. So they creep around to the number 12 apartment that is supposed to be Diane Selwyn's apartment. Betty is about to go knock, but Rita is very scared and says, no, don't do it. Betty does it anyways. (laughs) Betty. A woman answers, and Rita doesn't recognize her. Betty kind of looks at her, and it's like a, a no. But she says she's looking for Diane, and the woman who answered is like, this isn't Diane's apartment anymore. I traded apartments with Diane three weeks ago. What the heck? Diane is now in apartment 17. The woman says, I'll walk you over there. Sketchy, sketchy. Right? She also looks kind of annoyed by them, or like confused, but like she's not welcoming at all. Her phone starts ringing inside her house, and she says, I'll meet you there. I have to go get that. I'm so scared. So she leaves to go get that. They go to apartment 17, and no one answers. So Betty sees a window on the side, and she's like, boost me up. Let's break it. (laughs) Betty. Oh, Betty. Rita's like, no. And she's like, do it anyways. (laughs) Betty gets into the apartment and lets Rita in. And as soon as they're in the apartment, there is a horrible, horrible smell. Oh, God. And they're both pinching their noses. They're slowly rounding corners, kind of like when Betty was first exploring her aunt's apartment, and it's like these slow shots in first person of these different corners of an apartment, and they arrive to a bedroom where there is a body on a bed. Oh my god, are you going to tell us who it is or are you going to stop? It is dead, decomposing. They get up closer to it. It's kind of in the fetal position on the side with the legs bent. We can tell that it's blonde. Rita runs from the apartment, and the camera is like this distorted, shaky, like layered on top of each other. You know, kind of like you see somebody move, and it's like it's like yeah. you're on drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's like a wave sort of effect. Rita runs out and is grabbing her head, and Betty is behind her, like holding her. She's just in complete shock. The next shot we see is Rita's head over a sink, chopping off hair. And Betty says, no, don't do that. And it's clear Rita wants to disguise herself because after seeing what happened to Diane Selwyn, she's a little nervous for herself and wants to look different. And Betty says to her, I know what to do. Halfway point. Halfway point. But this is just some chick named Diane Selwyn. This is just some chick named Diane Selwyn. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What if we literally were like, I refuse. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's okay. I, I do think Adam is connected to what happened with Rita. Okay. It just seems too kismet uh, for Betty and Adam to have such a connection. I think that he has to have something to do with Rita. And that's going to be like a blind side for Betty. I feel like he he and Rita are both on the victim end of this. So I feel like whatever bad thing is going on... Or whoever these bad men are, I think they're behind both of these people's problems. But I don't think Adam is part of her problems. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think they're both victims. 
they both sold their souls to Hollywood fame, and now yep. they're getting their comeuppance for it. Who's oh. they? They both. You said they both. Rita and Adam. And Adam. Okay. Mm, okay. You know, I like, like that. They're both wealthy. We we don't know about Rita very much, but I think... She had a bunch of money in her she purse. She had a bunch of money. Something something having to do with selling your soul to the media beast or something like that. Yeah. And all these, like, the Hollywood cult is coming back to get them or something to, to pay their debts or something like that. Mm. I don't know. Capitalism. I was. <laughs> I just think that L.A. and Hollywood... It is a parasite like, situation. The Hollywood movie scene has to be kind of like a character, in a, in a sense, in this film. It, 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 it's more, like, tangible and more of, like, an entity than just a setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I'm super down for my theory about it having to, like, take back from them what it... You're what, on the right track. You know? <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. With the fun facts that you gave at the beginning of this explanation and just, like, what we know about David Lynch and how how much he beats to his own drum and how much of an, like, authentic artist he is, I can't help but feel like this has some kind of autobiographical context to mm-hmm. it. Maybe he sees himself in this world, kind of like as the Adam character, kind of as the Betty character. and Oh, I like and that. the Rita character. It's just, like, different aspects of his life being played out, you know, in this, you know, L.A. machine, Hollywood machine. What a fun way to make a movie to be like, I have amnesia and I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I literally forgot. I will say we haven't mentioned Silencio at all yet. Mm -hmm. And I still hold my theories about it being, maybe it's not a dream, though. Maybe they actually go there, but I still think it's going to be weird and ominous and not make sense. And I think it's going to tie to stuff later. I, I feel like maybe it'll be an Eric Stoltz situation where he casts the chick that he was supposed to, but then he just can't deny Naomi's talent. So maybe he can't deny her talent or her gaze, and he just, like, lingers after her. Maybe Silencio is like the Hollywood club where you drink the Kool-Aid. Maybe they've all been to this Silencio club. It's some kind of, like, soul exchange or something like oh. that to the city... And if you don't pay it forward or whatever, then the city takes you back. I don't know. All these people are getting killed, and I think that they all have something in common. Yeah. When you go there, you can be rich and famous, but for a price. Garbage monster's gonna get you if you don't do what the Hollywood giants say, yeah. you know? It's, like it's too death- long to be our title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready to get back into it? Mm-hmm. Plot-wise, we're very, very far through the film. What's interesting is I did pause it at, like, this exact moment to be like, I feel like I'm in the realm of halfway points. And I accidentally hit the back button, like, go back a chapter. Uh. It took me to the freaking menu. Whoa. Because David Lynch insisted that this <laughs> not have chapters. Wow. <laughs> so I found a fun fact. Wow. He didn't want there to be chapters on the DVD at all, and he also did not want for there to be bonus features or commentary. And he has never done director's commentary, and he never will, because, again, he likes to leave things up to interpretation. Yeah. So yeah. that was a pretty cool thing to, like, I'm a little find. mad about him not including bonus features, like... Give me something. Yes, I was too, but there are 25 minutes of behind-the-scenes footage on YouTube. Last we saw, Rita was trying to chop off her own hair to disguise herself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Betty said, I know what we need to do. Get you a wig! 
The next shot is of Betty standing in front of her bathroom mirror, and then slowly Rita walks alongside her, and it's like you're seeing double. Mm -hmm. Because she's got on a very similar wig to Betty's hair. It's blonde. Another, like, big trope of David Lynch is doubles or doppelgangers, mm. where we're seeing characters like Laura Palmer, for instance. Yeah. Um, and I guess he's done that with a lot of other things like Inland Empire and pretty much everything. He's, like, got a thing for doubles, where you're seeing double or where a character, an actor, plays multiple characters. So we're seeing these two women staring at themselves into the mirror. The next scene, it's it's nighttime and Betty is in bed. It's like the lights are kind of off and she notices Rita still like looking at herself in the mirror with her wig on. But she's in like a towel now because she's like gotten out of the shower but then put the wig back on. And Betty says to her, you don't need to wear that in the house. Uh. And Rita turns around to her and is like, what, this towel? And like goes to take the <gasps> towel off. And Betty is like, no, the wig. And she's like, oh, you're right. And like touches her head. And then she like takes off the wig. And Betty says to her, and you don't need to sleep on the couch. There's plenty of room in this bed. It's big. They were kissing in the trailer. I'm just now remembering. There's about to be some. There has been sexual tension this whole movie. I've just been like waiting for these women to fall in love. There's just something about how one of them doesn't really know anything because she's so naive and new to Hollywood and the other doesn't know anything because she doesn't know who she is. And they're kind of been brought together and it's like both of them kind of figuring things out on their own. And she's like, no, really, like, I can't believe I made you sleep out there last night. And Rita's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to convince me. She comes up alongside the bed, drops her towel, and is completely stark naked. But then just, like, instantly, like, climbs into the bed and is like, night-night! Oh! (laughs) And Betty's like, night. It's quiet for a moment. And then Rita is just like, thank you so much for everything, Betty. And, like, lifts herself up to kiss Betty's forehead. But in doing so, like, her whole upper torso is completely exposed and, like, no longer on the covers. She kisses Betty on the forehead and at the last second, Betty turns, their eyes lock, And Betty kisses Rita, and they start making out. Oh. Betty takes off her robe, and then they bone. Wow. Wow. And I was like, Dave had given us everything we want. (laughs) It was so clear, like, that this is what was meant to happen. Like, these women are gay for each other. Like, let it happen. And I was really thinking it was going to fall into, like, some weird, really over-the-top sexual tone of just, like, it's saucy and the men like this. But instead, they're actually just, like, falling in love. Because it starts with a forehead kiss, and then it starts with a real kiss, and Betty asks Rita, have you ever done this before? And Rita says, I don't know. No, right. Have you? And Betty says, I want to with you. So they kiss again. I know. And then Betty's like, I'm in love with you. Okay. (laughs) They barely know each other. It's like, that's great. Um, Made me think of this line from The Office when Oscar is making fun of how quickly Michael says, I love you. And he goes, that seems fast, even for lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) He says that? I was like, Betty, that's fine. You can say it. That's whatever. But then she says it again. And I was like, Betty. Yeah. (laughs) But she keeps saying, I'm in love with you. And it cuts. But we know they're in love. We know they have sex. Didn't see this coming. 
Like, uh, this wasn't in our predictions. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And I was glad you guys didn't notice it in the trailer until Kayleen just now said it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I did notice it, but I yeah. was so focused on, like, the twistiness that and I was like, oh, there's going to be some softcore porn chain in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But, you think it's them rehearsing something, or you think yeah. it's, like, for the male gaze? It's not. They're just gals being pals. <laughs> 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 Anyways, um, they're asleep, and in their sleep, Rita's eyes are actually open, and she is saying over and over again, silencio. Ew. Silencio. Oh my god, they're going there in their dream. It gets louder and louder, and she says, no, I banda. Betty wakes up and is, like, trying to calm her down, and she's like, Rita, go to sleep. Rita, it's fine. You're okay. And Rita says, no, go with me somewhere. And Betty's like, it's 2 a.m. And she says, go with me. And Betty says, now? And she says, right now. LA is crazy. LA is crazy, guys. There's this hot new club. (laughs) (laughs) Silencio. (laughs) They dress up very fancy. Red and black, red and black. Red and black, red and black. And they take a cab. They arrive at Silencio. It's a shabby looking nightclub with a blue neon sign and like a fan background. It's like I can see it now. It's like it's hung above our couch right now because I'm extra. (laughs) They arrive at Silencio and they go inside. It's more like a theater. There are theater seats and a stage. As they're walking to their seats in the background, we can see Cheryl Lee. Who plays Stop Laura it! Palmer? <laughs> Ellie from One Tree Hill. <laughs> it is very clearly her. Fans are like, that's her. David Lynch was asked, is that her? And he goes, no, that's your imagination. And it's like, that's her. I, I can see her. She's right there. Oh, wait, she's not a central figure in the shot. She's just in the shot. She's just in the background. That's so cool. dope. There's she has no such a. Right? What's the word? Uh, intense face. She does. You that's why you know face. it's her. <laughs> it's her. But he, he said, no, it's not. And then, like, obviously, there's nowhere to find it. Like, it's not on IMDb. She's not, not credited. credited. Yeah. That was my literal her. dream at Comic-Con the first year we went, is just to, like, see her in passing, because she's <laughs> one of those people who's, like, not famous enough, especially to our age group, for very many people to just, yeah. like, re- recognize her. Right? That would have been dope. It didn't happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. They sit down, and this MC emerges. He might be from Twin Peaks. I feel like he is, but don't know the actor. Okay. He looks like Tim Curry, and he is the MC of the evening, and he is yelling out, Silencio, no I banda, there is no band, and we hear this music playing, it's like an orchestra, and he says, this is all a recording, and he says, no I banda, and yet we hear one, a clarinet, listen, and we hear like this smooth noir (laughs) clarinet playing and he keeps gesturing around and he's talking about these different instruments and we continue to hear them he gestures to this big red curtain because duh it's david lynch (laughs) and a man emerges and he says a trumpet and this like guy in like a 40s like white tuxedo type band he comes out and he's playing a trumpet and we hear this trumpet solo it's great solo 
but then all of a sudden the trumpet and his hands come up and the solo keeps going and so it's clear that it is a recording these aren't actual people playing instruments and then he puts his hands down and he leaves and the MC says it's all a tape and he starts gesturing and this like each thing that he does is punctuated by a different instrument playing it's mm-hmm. like have you guys seen that what by Bo Burnham where he's yeah. like pointing and it's like all the different music is going and stuff. It's awesome. And he's like doing these little finesses and there's music going with it. And it's all an illusion, he says. Everything is an illusion. Then in like the Abraham Lincoln seats, there's like this box seat with this <laughs> woman sitting there. <laughs> and she's... <laughs> Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. It's what it's like. Oh my goodness. What she's is that? What is that <laughs> fucking skit where he's like... Now you fucked up. Now you fucked up. <laughs> I was like, I had the motion down. No, it's white as kids, you know. Yeah. Now you fucked up. Now, now you fu- have fucked up. You have fucked up now. <laughs> yeah. It's white as kids, you know. Love it. Um, this woman is sitting up there, and she's got like a beehive hairdo. It's blue, bright blue. I remember her from the trailer. Yes, you do. And uh, the MC is talking still, but we see like a focus on this woman. And he starts yelling something, and it conjures lightning. Like, all of a sudden, there's a lightning storm inside of this theater, and his arms are, like, lifted up, and there's lightning flashing. And Betty starts convulsing. She starts, like, having a full seizure, and she's just seizing in her chair. She stops, and this man with both of his hands, his hands are, like, in jazz hands, and they cross in front of his face, and they come down here to his chest, kind of like a Wolverine-type look. He smiles, and it's a very scary Kubrick smile, Mm. and you guys have definitely seen this shot before. Anytime, like, the Kubrick smile or the Kubrick stare is referenced, it's this man, like, with his hands like this, and it's, like, the red curtain behind him. You've for sure seen this picture before. Mm -hmm. Blue light and smoke fill the room, and this man is gone. Mm. And it's, like, all blue light, and Betty and Rita look very confused, and this is what Silencio is. It's a crazy time. A man comes out in front of a red curtain, the blue is gone now, and he introduces Rebecca Del Rio, the singer. This woman comes out, she's wearing like a very short red dress with like a black cover-up, and she sings a Spanish version of the song Crying by Roy Orbison. And it gets really intense, and it's a very emotionally moving song, and it cuts to Betty and Rita, and they are both weeping. They've been watching it back and forth, but by the middle of it, they're both just, like, sobbing and kind of having their own experience with it. But Rita kind of leans into Betty and is, like, crying on her shoulder. And the song continues, but we realize the woman is no longer singing. She's standing there, staring out at the audience. And it's a recording. And then she falls down dead. (gasps) Or faints. We don't know. (laughs) The internet says she died. Betty and Rita are watching and they're so upset. They're not sobbing anymore, but they watch as, like, these men bumble out there and, like, pick her up and drag her off stage while the song is still going. And it's really beautiful. Betty leans over to go to her purse and I'm, like, presuming it's to get a tissue out of it. She opens up her purse and there inside we see a blue box. Oh, I remember this from the trailer, too. A blue box with a small triangle hole. Like the key they have? That looks like it's gonna fit the key that they have. They go back home, they walk through the front door, and they start walking to the back bedroom to retrieve that hat box, and as they turn the corner, it's just Rita. 
And Rita goes and she takes the hat box down and she lifts it up and she takes the key out and she's got the key and the box and she looks around and she is like, Betty? And there's no answer. And Rita is so nervous. She's breathing heavily and she's like looking around the room and it's very slow. Like she keeps waiting for Betty to come back, but Betty's not there. And she takes that weird key and she sticks it into the blue box and she twists it. Oh my gosh, this is so suspenseful. And she opens the box. It's empty. It is. And the camera leans over and zooms into the blackness. And it goes into the black box. And then she drops the box on the floor. And then it's a shot of the bedroom. And the bedroom is completely made up as if no one has been there at all. The bed is made. There's nothing in the room. And Aunt Ruth comes in and, like, looks around the room because she thinks she heard somebody, but there's no one in there. And we see the floor, and there's no blue box on the floor. And Aunt Ruth is like, hmm, leaves. Is that the end? No. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Next, we're rounding these corners again in another apartment. It's those same shots we've seen before. This time, we recognize it to be Diane Selwyn's apartment. Hmm. We're going around these corners. We see these red sheets. Do you guys remember me mentioning red sheets? Wasn't it on the bed when she got there in the beginning? It was the very beginning of the movie. It's just a shot of some red sheets. Oh, and the camera oh, went yeah. into the sheets. And the camera went into the sheets. We see a body on the bed in the same position as that dead body. And then we see the cowboy enter. Duh! And he says, hey, pretty girl, time to wake up. We look at the body again, but this time it's the dead body. Then we look at the body again, and this time it is Betty. Of course! In the same position as the dead body was that we know to be Diane Selwyn. And she wakes up. This Betty looks very different from the Betty we know. Immediately she looks exhausted, unhappy, and her hair is straight rather than like kind of curled in. She's got more of like a nice cute bob and this time it's more like jagged straight out hair there's a banging knocking on her door and we're in diane selwyn's apartment we see betty though and there's a bunch of knocking 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 tiredly and annoyed gets up and she walks to the front door and she answers it and she says what do you want and it's the woman who was in apartment 12 and she says my lamp and my dishes ah come on diane it's been three weeks The neighbor comes into the apartment and goes to the coffee table, and on the coffee table we see a bright blue key. It's just a normal key, though, like a normal house key, but it's on the coffee table. Diane is, like, pouting over by the door, and the woman comes in and starts taking all her stuff, and she says, by the way, Diane, two detectives came by looking for you. Mm. And then she leaves. Diane is... Parallel universe shit. (laughs) Yeah. Diane is frustrated, and she's standing over her kitchen counter. And she turns and she says, Camilla! And she lights up. You've come back! And she's smiling really big. And then the shot that we see of what she must be looking on, standing her in her apartment, is Rita. Of course it is! But she's very done up and she's wearing all red. She's smiling at Diane. And then it cuts back to Diane, who is also smiling. But when it cuts back to what we think should be Camilla standing there smiling back, it's instead... Diane, staring at herself, and herself looks really upset. This is getting more Lynchian and more... Yeah, yeah, right? The last 20 minutes, you're just going to be like, okay, Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
Thanks. Good luck trying to explain this one. <laughs> Again, every time now, we are always in this apartment, this Diane Selwyn apartment. Camilla, who is Rita, and yeah. Diane, who is Betty, <laughs> topless, making oh. out on their couch. Diane's hair is, like, very that straight and jagged, and they're both so happy, and they're making out, and it's great, until Camilla says, we shouldn't do this anymore. Diane is stunned. She's like, what do you mean? And she goes, I'm done with this. And Diane kind of roughly pushes her back down and, like, starts going to, like, take off her pants and is, like, getting kind of rough with Camilla. Yeah. And she's like, stop it, Diane. And then the scene ends. And now we're on a movie set. It's the same movie set that we saw Betty meeting Adam on. Yeah. Except this time, Camilla is sitting inside of, like, an old fancy car with the director, Adam. And Adam is, like, yelling at, like, his actor who was supposed to be playing her scene partner. And Adam's all sleazy. Like, let me show you how to do the scene. Oh, gosh. And Diane is watching from afar, like, from across the room. And she's, like, curling up a handkerchief really angrily. And she's, like, in, like, 40s get-up. And she's watching as Adam is saying, like, here's how you should kiss her. Yeah, yeah. And is, like, pulling Camilla in. And it's, like, a really deep kiss. And then the lights all fade out. Then Diane is crying and sobbing on her couch, and she's breathing really heavily, and she's, like, looking up at the ceiling, and I was like, is she? I don't know, because she's crying, but she's kind of shaking a little bit, and I was like, oh, no, and she's violently, sadly masturbating. Oh. Um, And she just keeps thinking about Camilla. She gets even more aggressive, and then a phone starts ringing, and it's a black phone next to a red lamp. Mm Mm-hmm. When we expect Diane to enter the room and answer the phone, we expect her to still be, like, shaking and upset from what she was just doing on the couch. But instead, she is, like, beautiful, wearing a spaghetti strap dress. It's, like, black with red straps. Her hair looks really nicely done, and it's the classic shot of the movie that's, like, the cover of the DVD. She comes into her room, and she's, like, very hesitantly picking up the phone, and she lifts it to her ear, and she, like, looks to the side, and it's, like, this great noir shot of her like being lit from below and looking very like quizzically off to the yeah. side and she's on the phone and she hears Camilla saying are you ready the car's outside 6980 Mulholland Drive mm. are you ready then we see Diane in the back of the same car from the beginning and they're driving and we kind of just know what's happening we know what to expect the car pulls over to the side on Mulholland Drive And the driver turns around, and Diane says, What are you doing? We don't stop here. Which is the same line from the beginning. But it was Camilla's But it was Camilla. Diane is in the back of the car, and all of a sudden the door swings open, which we know to be from, like, one of the hitmen opening the door. But this time, it's Camilla. She's wearing that black dress from before, but now this, like, beautiful red cape with it. And she reaches out her hand, and she says, We're going to take a shortcut. And the two of them, like, saunter down the hill through the wooded area. And when they come out of it, we're now at Adam, the director's house. The really fancy, like, glass mansion. Where the affair was. Yeah. They cheers these glasses, and Diane just looks very confused through all of this. It feels like she's in a dream, which we feel like we are. And he says to love, and she is cheersing the woman that she has been in love with, with this man who she saw kissing her Mm -hmm. girl, and she says to love. Coco then appears, and Coco is like, hello, I'm Coco. 
And Diane just kind of looks at her, and Coco says, I'm Adam's mother. Ah. Diane says, I'm sorry I was late. And Coco looks really annoyed, and is like, mm-hmm. And then it's dinner time. <laughs> Kimmy's done. <laughs> There's only, like, five minutes left. Oh that God. sounds like that, like, in Serenity, where he's like, oh, I'm 20 seconds late, or whatever. Right? Yeah. Um, they're sitting down at the dinner table, it's like a big fancy Hollywood dinner, and the attention is on Diane, and she says, I'm from Deep River, Ontario. My Aunt Ruth died, Oh. and I won a Jitterbug dance contest, so I decided to move here to act. And Coco says, and how did you meet Camilla? And she says, we were both in the Sylvia North story, which is the movie that Adam's been trying to cast Mm. this whole movie. Diane says, I really wanted the lead, but the director didn't think much of me, and Camilla got the part. Camilla and Adam are, like, all over each other, and across from Diane at the dinner table, they, like, keep kissing. Adam tells a joke about his divorce and about how the wife ended up getting the pool guy and he got everything else. So that's who Billy Ray Cyrus was supposed to be. The blonde Camilla from before, from, like, our original story... Mm-hmm. The blonde Camilla comes up wearing her costume and walks up to brunette Camilla. What the heck? And kisses her on the mouth. What the heck? <laughs> and the two of them stare right at Diane. And then the cowboy enters and looks... We've seen him twice! <laughs> We've seen him twice! And looks right at Diane. And Diane looks like she's going to cry. And then Adam says, good news! And it's like a big, long, drawn-out pause, and he keeps giggling, and him and Camilla start laughing at each other, and he goes, Camilla and I, big pause as they're smiling, they can't contain their joy, are going to be... And then it's the best shot of the movie. It's my favorite shot. Diane is staring at them, and she, like, pulls her hand to her face because she's, like, going to cry, and she knows what they're going to say. She knows that they're going to announce their engagement. Uh And she quickly, like, clatters the silverware that's on her plate and like whips her head to like get up from the table and as soon as she does we are inside of a winkies and diane looks more haggard than ever and her hair is like crazy straight and she's like whipping herself to the side and like clatters all of the silverware to winkies and she is sitting across from the hitman okay and she's She's so upset Like, you think that. You think that that's, like, similar. Like, they have kind of a similar relationship. Like, maybe she is a sex worker. Okay. And she, like, throws herself, and then she pulls out a headshot. And it's the Camilla Rhodes headshot, but this time (gasps) it's the Camilla we know. Yeah. And she slides it to the hitman, and she says, this is the girl. The guy is just like, don't show me that. And she goes, it's an actor's photo resume. Everybody's got one. And then she hands him a bunch of money... And it's like, do it! A waitress comes over. The waitress is the same waitress from before, but this time her name tag says Betty! Of course it does! Ah! <laughs> oh my gosh! But Diane is talking to the hitman, and across the room in the diner, we see the man from before who had the dream about the Winkies. The one who died? And her and Diane, him and Diane look at each other. But the hitman pulls out a bright blue key. And he hands it to her, and he says, you'll know when it's done with this key. Like, I'm going to leave this key in your house when you know I've killed Camilla. And Diane says, what does it open? 
And he laughs heartily because that's the funniest thing he's ever been asked. Then, it's a shot of the really scary monster bum lady from the alleyway. And she's holding the blue box. And she thinks it's so funny and she's got the blue box. And then the next shot is the blue box inside of like a trash paper bag. And it's on the ground and there's like a fire lit next to it. And then, Irene and her husband, the old couple, are like this big. They're from little, the beginning? They're super little. And they come like running out of the bag Ew. and they're all scary. <laughs> I remember that part. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, Kimmy screamed. (laughs) And then Diane is inside of her house. We saw that that blue key ended up on the table, meaning we know that the deed is done and that Camilla has been killed because the hitman gave her the key. And Diane is like haunted by it and she's staring at the key. And we hear this very loud knocking and also this really scary distant screaming. And we see a shot of the bottom of her front door. And the little Irene and her husband are like crawling through ah! the door. And they're like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And they're like running underneath the door. Ew. And Diane looks really overwhelmed. And she starts screaming, but it's quiet. And then the screaming intensifies and it's fully loud. It's a very loud scream. And the old people are now their normal size. And they've got their hands out and they're reaching and they're chasing Diane. And they run and they chase her into the back of her room and she's screaming. She's got her hands all over their face and she's like slapping them away. And she like fumbles and she reaches over to her nightstand and she opens the nightstand drawer and inside is a blue box. But there's also a gun and she's screaming and she rips out the gun and she shoots herself in the face. Oh Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! (laughs) There's lightning. It's like really big overexposed shots like like flashbulbs are going off in her face. And then there's these really happy shots of Betty and Rita as if they both just arrived in Hollywood. And there's big flashbulbs and they're smiling so big and they're so happy to be there. And then it's these shots of the L.A. skyline. And then it's the woman with blue hair in the Silencio Club. And she says... Silencio. <laughs> and that's the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm stoned. Alright. <laughs> okay. And I did it. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Do you want to slap me in the face first? Do you want an explanation before you read it? Do you want to share your theories? What are the other um, keys? So we have... David Lynch's 10 Keys for Unlocking Mulholland Drive. And the first one, which I didn't tell you, is pay attention to the beginning of the film. Irene. Two clues are revealed before the credits even start. Oh, shit. The first one would be the Jitterbug Dance Contest. Because that's actually Betty winning. And we see her smiling, and that's like her key of like, this is my time, I'm gonna go to Hollywood, and that's what those pictures were of, and then the red sheets are Betty falling asleep, and the rest of the movie is a dream until she wakes up, and she only wakes up when Camilla opens that blue box. So everything from the beginning of the movie to the blue box being opened is a dream, and the real story and the real characters are Diane Selwyn, who is played by Naomi Watts, and Camilla Rhodes, who is played by Laura Herring. So the last 20 minutes of the movie are what's actually happening, and the rest is Betty's imagination. Is that confirmed, or that... That's confirmed in that David Lynch doesn't really talk about it, but Naomi Watts has said, 
I was, like, so stunned when I realized I was actually playing Diane. Yeah. And now the story is, like, very sad to me because I know that I'm actually Diane and, like, all of this who is a fantasy. Who wants to be with Camilla. Who wants to be with Camilla. Who oh. thinks I'm a big star. Who thinks I get to be all these things. And also, in the real world, Diane hasn't had a big break. And she's never made it anywhere. And she has fantasized that it's because it's out of her hands. She can have the best audition ever and she can be the new rising it girl, but she shows up and executives that are like high up and mighty and are like going to kill you, they're like, no, Adam, you're not you allowed to cast. cast a good one. You have to cast who we say. So that's how Camilla got the part is because it was like all these unseen forces making her have the part and it had nothing to do with talent. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what a whole bunch of David Lynch's keys are is... Do you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher is auditioning actresses for, and is it mentioned again? And so we do hear in the beginning, when his we first meet Adam, that he's directing something called the Sylvia North story, and we hear that again at the dinner party when Camilla is revealed to have gotten to play Sylvia North, and Betty really yeah. wanted that part. But Betty didn't get the part, or rather Diane didn't get the part, because it was all up to the cosmos and up to like these yeah. higher-ups. Um, an accident is a terrible event. Notice the location. It took place right outside of Adam's house on Mulholland Drive. Adam is the one who lives on Mulholland Drive. Another one is who gives a key and why. There's a key given from Aunt Ruth to Betty, and that signals her being in the dream. There's a key given from the hitman to Diane that signals she's in the real world and she killed the love of her life. Yeah. Because she did hire a hitman to kill her. Um, And so the whole thing with the hitman is that, like, in the dream world, he's a bumbling idiot who can't do anything. And that's because in the real world, Diane wishes he sucked at his job and actually didn't manage to kill her. Like, he just sucked so hard that he never even made it to the hit. We could talk at length for a billion years after you guys watch it, Mm because so much happens, and there are so many little things. Um, You know, you have to see it to believe what it is you're seeing. It's crazy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sure. So <laughs> stressful. Three, two, two one. Ah! Yay! Great, cool. Kimmy, you gave it? I gave it an eight. Kayleen gave it a nine. Courtney gave it a nine. Let me hear from you two who have not seen. You first. Okay, I gave it an eight. I, I think that this movie is probably great. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only reason why I didn't give it higher is that I personally like a coherent narrative. Um, you would definitely like this less than Kayleen. Yeah. I, I, I can have, see that. Like I said, I haven't seen any David Lynch. I know that he's a genius, just like from what we've learned in school and things like that. I know that he's a true artist. I kind of like that like larger-than-life world. Kind of like Truman Show. Yeah. And you know that it's, like, not realism, but it's all, like, for a greater purpose. I just really appreciate that, and it makes me want to, like, discover that kind of, like, mind in better, because that's just, like, not how my brain works. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it, and I appreciate it and respect it. And, yeah, I think this movie probably really good. <laughs> um, so I gave it an 8. I gave it a nine because I I don't want to say this is why I gave it the rating because it's not. It has to do with this as an individual. But when I watched Twin Peaks, I felt like the entire time I was watching it, 
I was experiencing something that nobody else was. Mm. It felt like this unique thing that people didn't know about, almost like a secret. And that's how this movie feels. But at the same time, Twin Peaks almost, I maybe because it is so open to interpretation, left me with something to desire and left me not rushing to watch it again. So I think that I cannot wait to see some of the things that you described. I'm very, very intrigued. But I also know that sometimes it can almost seem too hazy, the Mm -hmm. style that he does. And sometimes that can get a little bit exhausting. But I'm very intrigued. I really want to see her acting scene that you described. And I just think he's really fun to follow. So I really, I think the only thing of his I've seen is Twin Peaks. So I'm very excited to dip into some more. Same. My brain is completely fried from this explanation. (laughs) And from, like, the amount of research that I did into it and just in thinking, like, I must say all of the things that I found Mm -hmm. because otherwise why did I even find them? And it's it's getting really hard to because it's just, like, all coming to a bubble in my mind right now. But I was fascinated from by this movie from the second it started and, like, along the way, absolutely, there's just so much to go into and it's... It's such a treat to now see this movie, like, all over the place. Like, there were so many film essays and video essays that I could watch on YouTube. But just, it's it's so cool that David Lynch really just knows how to create a world and to create something discussable. And, like, what better way to be an artist than to, like, provoke and not in, like, a crude or, like, a mean way. Like, he just wants to share ideas and thoughts. And I can see myself really re-watching this movie from, like, a a Jordan Peele type of situation yeah. of, like, let's piece it all together because literally everything in his Keys to Unlocking is present, like, at all times. You you watch it and everything from the beginning, like, finds its way to the end. Um, I definitely had, like, a time in rating this where I was, like, scared of falling into, like, a midsummer thing of, like, what if I don't rate it a perfect oh, yeah. 10? <laughs> and, like, what if I give it a 7.5? Yeah. But... In, in all of my research and in just finding things out about it, there's no way, like, it's it's undeniably good. The pacing is very strong. It's just that a lot of the times, you know, like, why it's not a perfect 10 is you have to swallow some big stuff of, like, I don't really know what to make of that. But yeah, there's no denying this man's a genius, and I think it's really cool that this is, like, what made Naomi Watts, and I'm just, like, thrilled that I got to see it and mm-hmm. that it exists. So, it's a 9. Very cool. You want to close the week's episode? Who wants to go first? With watch list ads and recommendations. I'll go. Okay, dokey. My watch list ad is two things because they both looked interesting to me and they caused me a source of confusion. Oh. <laughs> because there's a movie and a TV show coming out this year with the same name. Oh, I want to guess, but I won't be able to. <laughs> <laughs> Run. Uh, no, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, With Mary Weaver and Donald Gleason, I knew that. Yeah. Well, there's oh, also yeah. a movie. I know, Sarah I laughed. Paulson. I laughed when that happened. I think I could have gotten it because I saw the tiny trailer for the Phoebe Waller-Bridge one, the show. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, intriguing. And then I saw this thing that was like full trailer for Run. And I watched it, and I watched the whole trailer... Where Sarah Paulson's in the whole thing, and I was like, 
where the fuck was Mary Weaver? <laughs> I definitely like, had that on my list of like, add this on the pod. And then I was like, it's gone. It's lost to the yeah. wind. So I hope that movie and that show are good. They both look good. <laughs> but I don't know much about them. Yeah. Um, and then for my recommendation, it's one that I eliminated from my movies I would teach in a class list because I think this already does get taught. So I felt it was too basic. Ooh. But The Matrix... I love that film. I've talked about it quite enough, but it has to do with the mind, <laughs> and it feels right. If you're dreaming or not. Yeah. So, there. <laughs> do you want to say more? And I close my notebook for the day. Okay. <laughs> Give me. All right. For my watch list ad, I'm going to put Wendy. By oh, yeah. Ben Zeitlin, I think is how you say. My recommendation is King Kong, 2005. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I honestly love it by Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, love that Peter. Who, who is that? Shut up. <laughs> he did Lovely Bones and nothing else. <laughs> oh, man. It's a little um, indie film called Heavenly Creatures with Kate Winslet. Is he but related he's like, to Janet? He's just not well known. Um, when I saw King Kong in the theaters... I just remember being like so cringed when she when Naomi Watts hides in the tree trunk and the gigantic centipede comes inside and like touches Disgusting. her with its tentacles. I and like there's no music during that part. And I remember that because in the theater everybody who was watching was like, Oh my god, what's happening? And I was like one of the dopest moments in the theater that I've ever had. King Kong's not even kind of scary when you have giant spiders and centipedes. I know, and then they'll hope those sucker ones that, yeah. like, sit yeah. in the mud and fucking get your head in and suck you up. I fucking remember that. I was too young to see that movie. <laughs> I think I saw that in theaters also. I did not. I've never seen it. No? Oh, I'm sorry. Adding to my watch list is King Kong 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, in researching this film, like, Naomi Watts and her talking about it, I was like, fun! So that's what I'm adding to my watch list. For my recommendation, is a film that I watched this week, but didn't say it earlier on our episode, because I was like, I'll save it. And also, that's just forever gonna be tied to this movie, because, like I said, Mm. I watched Mulholland Drive, and the next day went to LA, which was just such a mood to, like, see the city and the lights and the stars that this was based off of. And I went to the Cinerama on Sunset, I believe, and it's the big dome theater, and it was such an experience. I saw a portrait of a lady on fire. Woo! And Kayleen has seen it now. I did. It was stunning. I fell in love. It was the most beautiful film. Um, Women Falling in Love, kind of a film about desire and, like, picturing your life being one way and, like, how it just sadly cannot be, which is very similar to Mulholland Drive of just, like, dreams unrealized. And And how painting and art tie to your life. Seriously. And it was so beautiful and the best cinematography, like, I Mm. think I've seen. I thought it was so gorgeous and sexy and beautiful. It was very sexy. Really good music. Really good. And I just definitely want to watch more things by that director, Celine Sciamma. So that's what I hardcore recommend. Go get it. Get yourself a lady. Get her on fire. Anyway, next week we're doing horse sense. Decom. Um, should we say the secret? The secret. Just We'll just tease oh, sure. it. We're having a very special guest on 
for next episode. So stay tuned. I guess like never before. We've talked about him and he'll be here and good night. Sounds like a ghost. <laughs> <laughs>